0: In today's episode of Backpacker Radio, presented by The Trek, we're joined by Liz Thomas, known on trail as Snorkel. Liz has backpacked more than 20,000 miles, including an FKT on the AT, many trails internationally, and is likely the most experienced urban hiker on Earth. We learn Snorkel's top advice on how to pull big miles, current gear favorites, what she considers to be the hardest hike in the U.S., how she advises to backpack often while keeping a desk job, and more. We also dive deep on Snorkel's many urban hikes, which essentially amount to long-distance treks through some of the biggest cities in the U.S., including how she chooses her routes, which hikes have been her favorites, elements to avoid, and more. We wrap the show with my drinking Chance's Toe Juice yes, that's likely as gross as it sounds, how to stay safe in a lightning storm while in the backcountry, the Christmas gifts we were most excited to receive or gift this year, the triple crown of holiday traditions, and an epic listener email. But first, ho, ho, ho.
1: What did you call me?
0: What? No, it's the holiday season, silly.
1: Oh right. So what?
0: So tis the season to shower your loved ones with meaningful gifts.
1: Gifts that'll have a positive impact on the quality of their lives for years to come.
0: Gifts that are educational, inspirational, and at times laugh-out-loud funny.
1: Gifts that are books that we wrote and signed. That's right. We're bringing back the Chance and Zach signed book package. You can get signed copies of my books, hiking from home,
0: and one of my books. Appalachian trials or pacific crest trials
1: normally these pair of signed books would go for 60 bucks because we're feeling the holiday spirit for a limited time you can get these for just 40 but wait
0: there's more use coupon code little donkey girl to take an additional five dollars off this package and we'll throw in a backpack radio sticker as well
1: to get this base mountain screaming deal head on over to store.thetrek.co or simply go to the link in the show notes
0: I am thrilled to introduce our next sponsor, which is a brand that has been a part of my pack and thru-hikes dating back to 2017. Vargo creates lightweight titanium backpacking gear that is simple, innovative, and functional. The Vargobot 700 was with me every step of the way during my thru-hike of the PCT and every backpacking trip since. The Vargo bot is extremely lightweight, weighing less than five ounces, and transfers heat quickly and evenly, making it the perfect pot for your cookware setup. But this just scratches the surface for why the bot kicks so much at. Eff- but because the bot features a screw top lid, it's the ideal option for the cold soakers of this world. Dump your dehydrated meal and the appropriate amount of water into the bot, screw the lid closed, insert time, and voila, dinner is ready. Also, I can't count all the times I've benefited from having an additional 700 mls of emergency water storage when encountering an unexpected dry spell. In other words, this piece is incredibly versatile and may very well be the last pot you ever buy. The Bot comes in a variety of sizes, including the brand new Bot XL, which is designed to perfectly fit a full size canister inside with extra room for a stove. I'm also a user and fan of Vargo's utensils, titanium long handle spoon for the win, and their titanium steaks. You simply can't beat titanium's combination of strength and being lightweight, and no one does it better than Vargo. Discount time. Backpacker Radio listeners, head to vargooutdoors.com and use coupon code BACKPACKERRADIO at checkout to score a 20% discount. Again, the code is BackpackerRadio, all one word, at vargooutdoors.com. This is a limited time deal, so do not wait. Welcome to Backpacker Radio, presented by The Trek. Today is December 25th. I can't think of, are there any good holidays today?
1: Um. Yes, it's Christmas. I'm not playing along with this bit. It's Christmas. Oh,
0: okay, cool. I love Christmas. Yeah. No, Christmas is back for me. We've talked about this. I'm yes. A, I'm a Christmas guy again.
1: I, is it back? Because I feel like it never came for you until now.
0: It never uh, came. No, I loved Christmas as a kid. Are you kidding me? It, it was like, I couldn't sleep the night before Christmas because I was so excited for presents. It's... The post-college years, the adult years, is just like, this is a kid's holiday. Well, and now that I have kids, I'm back, baby. It's
1: not a kid's holiday. Okay. <laughs> it's everyone holiday. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yes, it's Christmas. We love Christmas. Big fans.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm your co-host, Zach Badger-Davis, and sitting to my right is-
1: I am Juliana Chauncey, a.k.a. Chaunce.
0: I'm turning you up, Chaunce. Uh, a l- couple of reminders before we get to today's interview. First is we are on YouTube. You guys should be watching podcasts because that's how everyone watches pod, or consumes podcasts, right?
1: Yeah, I mean you get a lot of stuff that you don't get through your ears alone. For example, in the last episode, um, we had
0: mm, this is a upsetting PC- to me a
1: PCT fkt er on and his, Nick he, Fowler. They've his, heard his feet were still in the foot peel phase post trail, the post trail foot peel, mm-hmm. um, and we got his raw nude. Foot up on the table, and I peeled a piece of skin that was pretty sizable off of the bottom of his foot and put it on Zach's laptop for him. Um And you just don't get that from ears alone.
0: Yeah, you're lucky that you're not on thin ice because that would have demolished said thin ice.
1: Yeah, no, you can't. Like, yeah. no one can get seriously mad at something like that. That's a I, person that can't take a joke. It's a
0: pretty. It's not a joke. It's gross. As I'm still upset about that. I
1: didn't put it on you. I could have.
0: You put it on my stuff.
1: Yeah, I did, and I don't regret it. <laughs>
0: But uh, yeah, today we've got a tasty holiday spread on the table. So it'll really just set the mood if you're trying to you know, enjoy a podcast as you should. It, also, uh, if you want to support the show in an additional capacity, we would love your Patreon support. We do a Patreon-specific episode the first Wednesday of every month. January's episode is going to be a special one. Have we decided what it's going to be?
1: <laughs> I thought it was us wallpapering. Yeah,
0: I, I didn't. I talk you out of that because I think it'll be tough to be on the mics while doing. that. Oh yeah. But we're going to do an extra special thing for our Patreon people. So there's a bonus Patreon, bonus bonus Patreon. Oh, thing. wallpapering. Yeah. Yeah. But you get to watch us do uh, house projects in the studio.
1: Yeah, it's like the watching paint dry thing. Yeah. But it's gonna be watching wallpaper dry. Bless yeah. us.
0: But. Uh, January's Patreon is going to be a very team centric thing. We'll have Rachel and Mara here in studio, which happens once per year. It's our Palooza. Um,
1: I did think of some things for it. I have a list, yeah. but I'm like worried about if I say it, then they'll hear it before time.
0: Do any of them rhyme with pooey?
1: No, they rhyme with schmad schmibs.
0: Mad Libs. <laughs> That's fun. That's a good time. Okay. But like
1: about us. And yeah. then we leave certain things blank and then they fill in things and then we get Love mad it. at them.
0: I'm all about it. <laughs> so you can expect a Schmad Schmibs Patreon episode for January's. And last but not least, I don't know if we've shouted this out in a minute, but uh, if there's somebody that you guys want to hear on the podcast, a lot of our best guests come from your suggestions. So head on over to BackpackerRadio.com. There is a link to submit a guest. It can be yourself. Um, Most of the best guest submissions are not that avenue because humility is pretty cool in this day and age. But sometimes it is people that submit themselves and they get on the show. That's happened before and they've turned into good episodes. So all avenues are good avenues. Just let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast. And there's a way to do so via BackpackerRadio.com. No more beating Around the Bush. This is someone I've known for a long time in the backpacking community. It's been a long time coming together on the show. Liz Snorkel Thomas is a professional hiker, adventure, conversationalist, and outdoor writer who's broke the woman's self-supported... Chauncey, going to move your It was cursor.
1: conservationist, not conversationalist
0: conservationist there we i was go. thinking
1: a conversationalist well, do- is like a weird title <laughs> we're
0: doing a podcast so she's going to be a conversationalist tonight. We all are. <laughs> yeah you put your cursor and it was blocking me It said juliana chauncey over the sentence oh this is reading. my fault now it is okay. who broke the woman's self-supported speed record on the 2181 mile appalachian trail i recognize that mileage I considered chance doing it again
1: i have my hands are yeah. in my lap
0: and it keeps blocking my lines
1: My hands are in my lap. I don't know what you want from me.
0: Considered among the most (laughs) experienced hikers in the U.S., she's known for backpacking light, fast, and solo. Liz has hiked more than 20,000 miles on more than 25 long trails, including completing the Triple Crown and first known traverses of the Chinook Trail in the Columbia River Gorge and Wasatch Range in Utah. She's the co-founder and editor-in-chief at Treeline Review. Snorkel, thank you so much for joining us here on Backpacker Radio.
2: Thanks so much for having me on the podcast.
0: Okay, so lots of directions to go here. Tons of things to talk about, obviously. This will be a fun interview. But the thing that I want to talk about is we found that a lot of the people that we interview on this podcast who are in your realm of like uber accomplished thru-hikers tend to be like whatever about gear. Like we just had Dirtmonger on recently, and he could hardly recite the gear that he used. I know you're on the other end of the spectrum. You're very gear-centric, so I'd like to know what your go-to big three is And let's just pretend like it's your typical three season trail. You don't know much about the climate or the terrain, just like the safest thing that you're grabbing for your big three.
2: Yeah. I mean, I do own a gear review website, so I often am mixing up at least one of my big three at any given time, but kind of my all time favorite pack, I think is the Gossamer gear. Kumo. Love that pack. Um, I love the catabatic gear palisade uh, for my, my backpacking quilt and, um, the MLD Solo Mid.
0: Classic, Good classic setup. Good choices. We are big catabatic and Gossamer Gear people. I've never used MLDs, anything, but I've heard nothing but great things.
1: I've used them on all my hikes. Yeah. Um, that's so like three for three here, My go to pack yeah. is the burn. Your burn. Yeah. The Burn Girl.
0: I don't know if I know the answer to this question, and I feel like I should. How did you get your trail name?
2: I got my trail name on the AT. So I grew up on the West Coast, West Coast hiker. I go out to the AT. I actually started the AT without a sleeping bag, which I, I've heard that like Anish also started the AT the first time without a sleeping bag. Very common mistake, you know.
0: you just using a blanket or you're going to like find a carcass to crawl inside of or <laughs> what's the plan?
2: <laughs> um, I, I actually uh, was on the way, on the flight there. I was like, I'm going to need something. So I nabbed the, <laughs> the blanket on the airplane. <laughs> That's what I started the AT with the first time. So, of course, I get to Neil's Gap and I was like, yeah, you know what does not work for through hiking in Georgia in the mountains in April is a, a, a airplane bag, blanket, Bought a sleeping bag. By the time I get to Damascus, it's all sad, deflated. I'm like, what? What? Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Fuck yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? I just bought this thing. It was super expensive. Um, I'm only 500 miles in. Why does this bag look like garbage? And they're like, well, did you get it? What? I was like, no. Very careful. And they're like, well, do you stick your head in your back? And I was like, yeah, i got to keep my face warm. He's like, oh, your breath is condensing the down. You need a snorkel to stick up out the top. <laughs> so that's how I became snorkel. And, you know, like East Coast, humid air. West Coast, you can kind of get away with, like, doing the face warming thing in your back. But not
0: on the AT. Are there any ultralight snorkels? Is that a feasible idea? Is...
2: No, someone should make one. If yeah. you have any listeners who are engineering inclined.
0: Yeah. What would be the correct material, like uh, carbon like fiber silicone. And snorkel? <laughs> yeah. silicone. No, a
1: silicone because it's bendy and it's the same. Is shape. that light? I think so. People have brought like silicone bongs on the trail.
0: Yeah, there's other silicone things.
1: But... Like what? Like uh, what Zach? <laughs> <laughs> what What did you bring on the trail that was silicone and different?
0: Uh, not me personally, but uh-huh. I know a person. Yeah. Um, so then I'm guessing that your first AT hike story is not the AT that the masses are aware of. The 2011 hike? That's right. That was the one that you showed up without a sleeping bag? Oh,
2: no, no. 2008, the first time I hiked okay, is when I okay. didn't have a sleeping bag. So
0: let's start there. Is this your first long-distance backpacking trip of any kind? I
2: actually had done the Tahoe Rim Trail first, kind of as a like... Did you have a
0: sleeping bag on that one?
2: I did. But, you know, my big takeaway from the Tahoe Rim Trail was like, Wow, I really love through hiking I should do more of this. But my pack is too heavy. What can I get rid of? And uh. so that's how I ended up going to the extreme.
1: How like I'm trying to understand. But how how do you narrow down that the sleeping bag will be what goes? Because I feel like <laughs> that's like saying I'll just leave my food at home. Like how no, of, no, of no, all I, the food things. is very important. <laughs> so what else was in your pack at the time? Like what what was able to keep the weight in your pack where the sleeping bag got next?
2: Well, I I was very proud to show up with a sub 10 pound base weight uh, for my first through hike, you know, but that was pretty easy when I didn't have a sleeping bag.
1: Any luxury items? Any like a book?
2: No books. No books. I don't think I had any luxury. I had a stove, but you know. That's
1: not luxury. Okay. Then that's good. Like at least you're not carrying three books and no sleeping bag, but (laughs) I've like, I've heard people not bring a tent and learn that they should have a tent. I don't. I don't think I've heard of the no sleeping bag, though.
0: I feel like the no tent on the is less egregious than no sleeping bag. And look how far you've come. Now you're one of the premier gear minds <laughs> in the world of backpacking, <laughs> and you started out without a sleeping bag. So it's just a uh, hope or an inspiration for anybody out there. It doesn't matter <laughs> where you start, you can always get to where you need to be. Um, so where did you end up picking a sleeping bag up? Was that a Neil's Gap? Neil's Gap. Yeah, or I guess uh, Prezel would be mad at me. Neil Gap. Neil right? yeah. Gap, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh do you remember what you got? Western Mountaineering. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good stuff yeah, there. they saw good stuff there. Yeah. Nice. So, okay, so the first long distance backpacking trip was the Tahoe Rim Trail, which feels maybe like a little bit of an unconventional first trail. Maybe we're just very east coast east coast skewed here. So we hear a lot of like AT sections or long trail or whatever it might be. Um, But what brought you to the Tahoe Rim Trail? Because I feel like if people are looking to a West Coast Trail, you typically think of like the John Muir Trail as like a starter trail, which is not to say that it's an easy trail by any stretch, but it's usually the one that attracts people.
2: Yeah, I mean, Tahoe Rim Trail as a first through hike, I think, is ideal. It's a loop hike, so you're walking back to your car. You don't have to deal with some of the logistics. Um, Trail Angel system there is pretty robust. You cross roads quite a bit often. So if you're like, you know what, this isn't for me. You can quit very easily. There's some towns along the way. I I think it's got a lot going for it. Some wilderness, but um, just pretty. And uh, they they designed it relatively recently, so it's not like straight up, straight down for the most part. Hmm. Got some switchbacks.
0: Was the trail in good condition in 2008? I did it. 19 and it was like pristine all the way around was that true in 2008
2: yeah i have a friend who calls it the neiman marcus of trails (laughs) (laughs) like if there's a blowdown the next day someone will be like i'm cleaning that up
0: yeah gives sense makes sense given the proximity to uh trail lovers and a lot of money out there yeah (laughs) neiman marcus yeah uh and then next on your list here we've got the pct so you dove in big after that west coast influence obviously um did you encounter PCT hikers on the Tahoe Rim Trail? Like, was that what planted the seed, or what got you to the PCT?
2: No, I um, actually worked out outside of Yosemite um, before I started through hiking, and uh, I think like the year—the year was like 2005. It was like a big snow year. People were like getting swept away and in Fords. It was like a scary, scary year. There were probably only like a hundred through people who attempted, and like everyone was quitting. Hmm. And I was hanging out in Tuolumne Meadows. as was like a day hiker feeling super proud about like, oh, I did 10 miles today. This is great. And these like super scraggly guys come in and like they just look beat. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, oh we're hiking the PCT I think we're gonna quit and it was like I want to do that that sounds awesome tell me all about it <laughs> like it's really scary and I don't think we can keep doing it I was like yeah tell me more so that, that was so kind of my you were not scared intro. away
0: by people quitting this massive endeavor?
2: No it sounded exciting to me.
0: Yeah you say you were working at Yosemite?
2: Yeah I was um, working at a field station outside of Yosemite. What were you doing? I was doing um, conservation related research actually. okay uh, con- conversations.
0: Con- conversationalists. <laughs> uh, let's I guess let's start there. what what's your educational background?
2: Yeah, I, um, I w- uh, environmental science was what I did um, and I was really interested. I still am really interested um, in specifically when I say I'm a conservationist, sort of the crossover between land conservation and long distance trails because politically it's a lot easier to be like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we like don't put a giant development on this place because there's a long trail going through it? And people are like, oh, long trails. We want that to be super pretty, the view. Versus just being like, hey, here's a really pretty place. And they're like, screw it. Let's put a condo on it.
0: Mm-hmm. And if memory serves, I don't know if this is on your website. I'm guessing it is. But you went to a very good school. Was it Yale? I did go to Yale. Yeah. Oh, I'm,
2: yeah. I'm watching Gilmore
1: Girls right now. We're raising <laughs> Yale. <laughs> I know a lot about Yale. You ask some Yale questions. You might know
0: more okay, about <laughs> Yale you than, you touched, than I do. Have
1: you touched the toe?
2: Touched the toe? Is that like Rory, where you peel
0: skin off? No,
1: Rory says there's a toe that's good luck and that so many people have touched it that it's like rubbed
2: smooth. Oh. It's like a statue thing.
0: Okay. It's the end of my Yale so you knowledge. touched the toe?
2: No, I haven't touched the toe. I hope they didn't lie about that.
0: <laughs> TV would never do. <laughs> Come girls. would not lie to me. Now
2: I, oh, I wonder if it's... Now now I'm thinking of potential toes.
1: It was like some guy named Woosley or something.
2: Oh yeah, that that is like a name of a guy who's a big deal there. Yeah. Oh my god, I know so much stuff.
1: Um, how how is it going to an Ivy League school? Is it like everything you think it is as someone who has not gone to an Ivy League school? I
2: guess so fancy. I, I went to the, the the forestry environmental science school, um, which is kind of like the hippie school. Uh everyone wore Chacos and uh I had dreadlocks when I went there, um, and uh, wore hippie pants all day. So, I would say my experience maybe is not the typical Ivy League experience.
1: Okay, what uh, what kind of classes? What kind of things were you studying that like were the most exciting?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, for me, I, I for me like the conservation stuff was really exciting, and I still think it's super exciting looking at these sort of large scale conservation projects. Um, But, like, that's kind of nerdy. No, no, please. Yeah. yeah.
1: I I just, well, this year, not just, but I read Silent Spring Revolution, um, which is, like, the take on, like, everything that came after Rachel Carson wrote Silent Spring. And it was fascinating. So if there's, like, super interesting stuff about it, definitely tell us. Like, if there was something that caught your eye or ear and got you into, like, then going to Yosemite and doing all the stuff related to the trails.
2: Yeah. I actually did that stuff before I went to Yale because the project I worked on, the research that I worked on while I was at Yale was hiking the PCT.
0: Oh, that's nice. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I, I, uh, so you,
0: were, you were getting college credit to hike the PCT.
2: Yeah, Essentially. Yeah. I got a grant to go hike the PCT. <laughs> that's not too bad. <laughs> um, And yeah, I talked to different people along the way and the towns and some land managers to kind of figure out what's the relationship between hikers specifically and conservation initiatives. And, you know, like, it's no surprise, like, when hikers are hiker-trashy in town, like, townspeople are like, I don't like the trail being here, and are less supportive of conservation efforts than, like, hmm. if they're like, oh, man, we make a lot of money, and people are respectful. Uh, this is awesome. Um, so that was kind of like, you know, like a 50-page paper in one, two sentences.
1: What were, like, the mind-blowing parts of it? Like, what did you not expect to learn from it that you did?
2: Yeah, I, I guess I I was really surprised, and this was more than 10 years ago, but a lot of people in towns had never heard of, like, the Pacific Crest Trail Association. They just kind of, like, blamed everything on the Forest Service. And um, and I'm like, oh, wait, no, there, there's actually, like, people who... Someone better <laughs> to blame. <laughs> Direct your hate mail here.
0: <laughs> what was the process for getting a grant and college credit from the university? Like, is this something that was already carved out, or do you have to go and pitch and invent a whole new thing?
2: Oh, yeah, I had to pitch. And, and really... Um, you know this this grant was specifically for looking at at large scale, like hundreds of miles of conservation. And so this idea of being like, "Hey, people really want to conserve areas around towns or around trails, and maybe are less excited about just like random parks, cool places." Um, they were like, "Oh, that's a really interesting way of thinking about conservation that we haven't thought about before. Sure, let let's see how this goes."
1: Hmm. I know in the AT, there's like a lot of big things that have happened in terms of acquiring land, the corridor, like development, Just pushback back back and forth. What have been the big things on the PCT that like are stand out in terms of just the PCT version of those problems, acquiring a corridor, stopping development, like what's going on over there?
2: Yeah, the um, the PCT learned a lot from the AT, come I in a little bit later in the game. The AT um, had sort of some conservation disasters where people like, I don't know if you all remember, like in Pennsylvania, the Cumberland Valley, where it's like 13 miles, no shelter, you can't camp there. And it's like the corridor is super narrow. So that was kind of like, that was like an imminent domain, like in the 70s, I want to say. Um, and so the locals are still like, maybe they're better about it now, but at the time there there was a lot of, sort of conflict between the AT and 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 people who live there. Um the PCT has a lot more advantages, more public land. Um some of the cool things happening on the PCT is there's a lot of timberland that's privately held but is now like getting transferred over to the forest service so that whole area is like maybe not going to be logged or um you know like ultimately will be protected, which is really really cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Our guy Andy Downs recently had a win on the ATC. They protected the view shed from uh, McAfee Knob. I saw that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was cool.
0: Yeah. Um, That'll probably be a future Trek propaganda, but we were on the subject. So, what were the requirements for the research project that you were doing on the PCT? Like, did you have to talk to a certain number of people, or like, what was the ask of you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, th- there was no particular ask. It was like I put together what I, I envisioned the project being. Um, and actually, a lot of it was research that I did after talking to people on other trails. Um, mm. For example, there's like a mountain bike trail in Vermont that is super on top of this. Hmm. Um, and in many cases, mountain bike trails have to be because it's a little more like intensive on the land. Um, yeah, it, it was super interesting.
0: Do you have advice to somebody that wants to follow in your tracks? Because that's the dream, right—to go to school, <laughs> to have them pay for your hike, to get college credit for it. Like you're—you're you're checking all the boxes there. What was your process going into getting this uh, fulfilled?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. Do I have advice about it? I mean, I. I think it was the sort of things is if you have a really good idea, even if it seems out of the box, if you're able to support it with work that's a little bit, a little bit different, but is like people are like, oh, that's legit science or whatever. Like you can really get away with, with, um, you know, like being, being creative in that way.
0: Hmm. And I bet that sort of thing is a good predictor of somebody who's going to be an entrepreneur because it's very easy (laughs) to just show up at college and just take the all the things to check the box to get your degree but like that's a really good opportunity when you're young and like you are curious about something to go and carve out your own path and like make I'm, I'm there's probably things that you learned in that process that i feel like would have paid dividends in what you're doing today with treeline review is that a stretch
2: yeah i think a lot of it is just like you know like diving into the deep end like Honestly, probably like getting together with friends, drinking, coming up with really out there ideas. And then in the morning, waking up being like, that was actually kind of cool. I wonder if I could make this
1: work. <laughs> Did I send an email requesting a grant last
2: night? <laughs> <time? laughs>
0: yeah, the version of a drunk text. Uh, cool. Well, typically we we do the chronology of someone's backpacking experience. And we'll get to that. But there's some things that you've talked about throughout your career. I know you feel strongly about, written about. Uh, and I want to I dive into that. Specifically, I think this will be something that resonates with a lot of our listeners is you wrote a piece titled How to Backpack and Keep Your Desk Job. How do you do that?
2: Yeah. Um I think, you know, first of all, I, I think it really helps if you're able to stay in shape. Because a lot of the sort of like pains of going out and backpacking for especially for long distance, like it it it, it makes it so that that there's not so much of a transition zone.
0: You can hit the ground running, so Yes, to speak. exactly.
2: Yeah. Ultralight gear, same thing. That helps a lot. Um, you know, having a good boss also helps. Um, I would say a lot of times what I've seen from sort of these serial through hikers who have more desk job types is they are really good at their jobs. Mm. To the point where when they're like, hey, I'm going to go hike, their boss is like, all right, we're really going to miss you. This is too bad. And then when they get back from the trail, they're like, we haven't found someone who's as good as you. Um, we wanna come back. Like that happens a shockingly high amount of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just had dirt monger on not to bring it over again. <laughs> but like it sounds like he fits that mold perfectly. Like he's been working Be reliable. This... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Chance Chance is that person. She's I am. she's not appreciated enough. Oh, should we not have to talk about this? <laughs>
1: I'm appreciated so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jess. Should we edit
1: that <laughs> um, No, I work in a job where, like, if I get up from my desk, someone else can sit down in it. So I'm the opposite of that. Like, I as much value as I have, I am also, like, so replaceable. But I think that also kind of helps in my favor because there's, you know, like, I can also come back and take anyone else's desk. You know, it's like a musical chairs kind of scenario um
0: but not everyone's good at sales
1: true no. but what i'm saying is like my old job that i left for the at like i had projects that i was on like i had to build like mapping wayfinding systems for companies that were like multi-building yeah. right like i can't just leave that in the middle of it it's right. gonna be an absolute nightmare it would sure. be a terrible thing to do sure um whereas this it's like if i don't call this guy someone else will call him yeah you know um But yeah, that was something that was hard for me when I was working at the previous job where I was, you know, on bigger projects that I couldn't just stand up from, which was why I ended up doing like weekend section hikes. Um, I, I guess, how did you, did you test this? Like, did you have a desk job that you were trying to keep and go backpack during
2: yeah, it didn't really work out. <laughs> <laughs> um I did, I did some consulting. Um uh I I worked um I would like fly out to these sort of like rusting out industrial buildings and do environmental assessments. Um so I could like fly out there, do my report, then go hike and it was really just sort of like contract work, um which I think is actually one of the best ways like maybe get a couple years experience, show people that you're useful, and then like only take on the projects you want in the time of year that you don't want to be hiking. I've seen that work really well for a lot of people, um, especially if you have like technical expertise or specialization.
0: You mentioned going back to the last answer, staying in shape in between hikes. Um, Are you in shape just because you're always backpacking, or do you have, like, a specific training regimen between backpacking trips?
2: Oh, man. I wish I had a specific training regimen. I mean, I go on day hikes, um, and I I put up a series of, like, these are the day hikes that I want to do that will ramp up throughout the year to get ready for a big hike. Um, But I – I I realize the more I think about it as training, like, that actually puts a lot of pressure on me. So if instead I I have to think about it, like, oh, I'm going to go do this fun thing, Mm. um, which is the same thing, but, like, mentally it helps me.
0: Sure. Yeah, Chance and I get stuck. I think Chance even more so than me is that – Do tell. No, no, no. What What do I get stuck on? What I'm saying is we don't enjoy day hikes the way that we enjoy backpacking. So, like, it's tough to find the motivation to stay consistent with day hikes because backpacking is so enjoyable. You're going from point A to point B, and that can be thousands of miles away. Whereas, like, a day hike, it's usually something that you've done dozens of times, maybe more. Um, It's just – it's tougher to find that motivation. Do you – I'll let you – Correct me if I was wrong on that. No, that's
1: that's like entirely true. Like when we have like the element photos we're posting or the katabatic photos, like I like when I have to take photos of stuff for those things because it forces me to then have to go on a hike. And you'd think we don't have to force ourselves to go on hikes. We love hiking. But when it's the driving to and from and it doesn't just have that constant flow of a through hike for me, it's really hard to get in the car and like wake up early and like commit to tiring myself out to come back tired. So I like, I find that I have to take things like needing to take photos for something and use that as a, well, then I have to go on this because I have to do this. And here's a deadline. And I almost have to make it something more like, like you're saying, it. it I don't just want to go day hike.
2: <laughs> you know what I hate about day hiking? And you, you got to the, the core of it is driving. Yeah. Like, on trail, you wake up, you're where you need to be to keep hiking. Yeah. Whereas like, I hate like being like, oh, do I have enough gas? Oh, there's traffic. Uh Oh, my tires. Lo-. Like <laughs> it just becomes all of these things. Yeah. Uh Oh, I forgot a parking pass. There's no parking. And you're like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm not, I haven't even started hiking and things are hard. Yeah. Well,
1: it's also the reward is so small compared to the reward you get when you do the bigger stuff. So coming back from it and like you're doing this bigger stuff, you wake up, you do it, you get reward, you go to bed. To come back and get small reward plus driving, plus the traffic, plus all this, plus you have work on Monday, like small reward isn't worth it make me
0: realize we should do an article on how backpacking ruins day hiking because the fact of the matter is i still like day hiking but just backpacking is so much better that comparatively it seems so much worse
1: i have quit so many day hikes (laughs) like before before backpacking i loved it i would drive up to rocky mountain national park it felt like a close drive for me even though it's not um and i would just like i would go and i would go if the sunset like i'd still finish after after there, I, I come back and it's like, I'll get to a trailhead in like Golden Gate Park, which is 30 minutes. And I'll hike maybe a mile and I'll get a little bored and I'll be like, eh,
2: I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know the struggle. Uh, well, so one of my tricks is making friends with like pretty dedicated hardcore day hikers who are totally fine with driving. Because that takes like, that takes the driving part mm-hmm. out and they're so excited. First of all, you're like hanging out with friends. So yeah. that always makes it like more rewarding. And then they're so excited about like being out that you're like, oh, okay. And since you're already like in thru-hiker shape or like, you know, ready to pull miles, like they're like, oh, someone who can keep up with me. I guess in Colorado, that's not as big of a deal. But like, well, um, yeah. I'm the, I'm similar
1: thought, but different in that I, like I, some of the most recent day hikes I've gone on have been with one of my friends that moved here that doesn't hike all that much. And I that for me motivates me because it's like, They've seen I've done these hikes. They've built me up to be this person in their minds. I can't go out here and hike a mile and be like, I want to go home. So then I have
3: Jones to is be that person. That out of breath.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just like absolutely masking the whole time. I'm like, I love this. Yeah. In conclusion, peer pressure from both sides is the best way to enjoy yeah. day
0: hiking. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, this is another piece that you wrote. I'm going to ask the question knowing that there's is sort of a uh, – a gray area answer but what is the hardest hike in the u.s
2: Ooh, yeah um so when i wrote that piece on what the hardest hike in the u.s is i had just finished the um uh, Sierra high route which is off trail uh essentially like third class scrambling um it's really not a hike mm-hmm. it's something sort of between a climb and a scramble and and I mean, the guidebook literally doesn't call you hikers. They call you travelers. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, in some ways, like, yeah, it was really hard. But compared to when I did the CDT and did not have as advanced of a skill set when I went out on the CDT, and this was before Far Out, it was before there was even a GPS track. It was before they knew where the trail was. It was before the trail was built or signed, really. Yeah. Um, that was a lot harder for me, I think.
0: And I've heard you say before that's the hardest hike that you'll do is just relative to your skill set and expectations. For sure, yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important point to drill home because like, there's no concrete hardest thing because it's all just based on your preparation for that hike. That if you go into something like the Sierra High route, but you've got... All the correct gear, all the correct skill set. You've done off-trail stuff before. It probably doesn't seem that hard. But, like, if you're starting off on the PCT and it's your first backpacking trip and you've never done more than 20 miles, that could seem infinitely harder. So, yeah, I just thought that was a really interesting and astute point. That's
2: so true. It's all relative. My hardest
1: hike was the desert of the PCT, which, like, other people think is laughably easy. And then I I would say the start of the AT, like – up to Virginia, even like approach trail from the beginning arch to there was a freaking cakewalk, yeah. like a joyous rainbows and butterflies the whole way. Yeah. And it just all came down to the shape I was in. Yeah, totally. it's so true.
0: Yeah. Uh, another thing that you are very well known for is urban hiking. Yep. I don't think it takes much to sell someone on the virtues of, like, beautiful backcountry, like hiking the PCT. Like, it doesn't take much of a sales pitch to get somebody to fall in love with that idea. Walking through the city of Chicago might be a tougher sell. (laughs) Give us your best pitch on why someone would want to get into urban through hiking.
2: Yeah, I mean, part of it, it's right there. And you can spend all day walking with all the joys of like being outside and moving your body and having sunlight that have been scientifically proven to be beneficial. Um I think also, especially if it's a city that you live in, being able to see it at a slower pace with new eyes is pretty cool. Like when I lived here in Denver, I did quite a few urban through hikes in Denver and I was did you like the
0: full Colfax? Yeah, I hike? walked all of Colfax. I wanna do that. How was that?
2: Um I mean I'm glad I did. I I wouldn't necessarily say that's something I would go on and say. Yeah, you should go do. <laughs> we but...
1: want to do it like a beer run. Yeah, like we want to do like a.
0: We'd have to go quickly because it's at, it's like close to 30 miles or something. I think
2: it was like 50 se- Ooh, I had to, it took two days. Oh, oh shit. yeah.
0: Okay. okay, so it'll be we'll but, have to camp yeah. on cold it, facts. It essentially ends in Kansas, In Kansas. <laughs> Oh, shit. It goes that far? No, no, no. But it,
2: it, it, I can't remember. It's like Strasburgers. So. It, it looks like there's like grain silos, oh, wow. like fields of some sort of agricultural thing. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's not the one that you're pointing people to in Denver.
2: I mean, I think as someone who lived in Denver, I was really glad I had that experience. But I think the Highline Canal here, Highline Canal Trail here is really great. I actually did that with Twinkle. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I would say that's the sort of like Denver off the beaten path urban through hike.
0: Just a quick aside. I, this is just came to my memory, but uh, you and I had dinner in just outside of City Park. This was many years ago. And uh, as you are leaving, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to walk back to my house. <laughs> it was like eight miles away, and she had walked to the restaurant on the way there. It was just like – Liz walks the walk, literally speaking. Like She moves everywhere on foot. Uh, I definitely did not... Actually, I did walk there, but I lived like five blocks away.
1: (laughs) Do you get scared? Because I feel like... I mean, it's easy to know the scary things on trails that are typical in your mind trails. Like, okay, bears, um, you know, wildlife. Like, you're in the middle of nowhere. When you're in the city... Like, I feel like there's a whole new set of scaries you're opening up. Oh, for sure. Do you get the scaries?
2: I think, you know, for me, I think about the scaries kind of like how I think about the scaries when I'm on trail, um, especially as I first started getting onto trail. Like, there's a lot of unknowns. Um, So part of it is like, that's kind of the adventure of this being like, how is this going to go? I don't know. Part of it is the same as on trail being like, what sort of things can I do to like make myself safe, safer in situations? So like I'm not going to walk through certain neighborhoods at night. Um, I might have another hiker join me through this section. Um, yeah, but I think for me also, it's really important to show that like as a woman, I can I, I I walk through these areas and that these areas are like, we shouldn't think about walking in urban areas as something that is scary or off limits for, for people.
0: Are you ever packing heat?
2: No, but when I did the Colfax hike, I definitely saw someone who was. Well,
1: (laughs) I feel like on trail, part of, I mean, the scariest part is never the animals. It's like the idea of a person, I think, at least for me. But on trail, one of the things that keeps the scaries down for me is that, like, if someone's out there, they've had to get out there, you know? And, like, typically the people that are going to get that far out there are like share the same mindset as you to some capacity. Like that, you know, you're not just going to be out in the middle of nowhere. In cities, I feel like you get such a more like unpredictable, like a jumble of different people, personas, just types of, you know, it's not like someone that I could just be like, do we share something? You know, how do you, how do you keep that from, I guess I already asked about the scariest, but Are you talking to people? Are you, like, is there a camaraderie? I just, how is it different? And just what stands out about it, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely talk to people. And I think, you know, when it comes to the scaries, like some of these neighborhoods that maybe feel a little bit less comfortable for me to walk through, you know, this is the reality for the people who live here. So, you know, it really gives me sort of like an appreciation of like what we as a society and as a community need to think about when we think about what a city means and that there are places within walking distance where certain people in certain neighborhoods may not feel as safe as other people in other neighborhoods. And what can we as a city do to make everyone feel comfortable wherever they live? Have
0: you what thought are... about running for office? That, <laughs> that sounds like a really good platform, honestly.
2: Oh, walk to, to the, the whatever the, <laughs> the, the capital.
1: Um, what about camping? Because like daytime... I think in my mind, I'll be good walking through a city. You know, I'm, I could do that um, nighttime when it comes time to pitch a tent. I think that's where the no way flag goes up in my mind. Are you camping in cities or are you getting a motel? Are you doing just like going out for the day hike coming back? Like, how does the logistics of the sleep stuff work?
2: Yeah, I've been very fortunate that in the cities that I've hiked in, I've known people. So in some ways, it's like I'm I'm setting up my routes based on where people I know live throughout the city. Um, when I did the San Francisco urban through hike, I was staying with people that I'd known from all facets of my life, all the way from like friends I'd made like a year ago to like Someone I went to elementary school with who I hadn't talked to since elementary school, (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) who just saw like on on social media that I was doing this was like, I live here. You want to crash?
0: Yeah. How do they take when you're like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this extended long walk through this city just because I like to stretch my legs a bit. Like, what's their response to that?
2: Yeah. I mean, they definitely thought it was weird, but they also thought it was cool because I had presented as like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I think to some extent, especially people who live in like pretty beautiful or cool cities. They love the idea that someone wants to see all the little quirks and, and different neighborhoods of their city.
0: Totally. And I can definitely resonate with what you're saying about like you 100% learn a city so much better seeing it on foot. Because if even if you live in a city, typically you're taking the same busy roads over and over and again and you're not seeing those little nooks. Whereas I feel like you're probably aiming for the side streets when you're walking just because you get to experience more. Um, let's back up a bit. First, can you give us an overview of the urban hikes that you've done? And also, can you give us sort of like a range on the mileage of these hikes?
2: Yeah, so the first one that I did uh, was called the MN300. It's in Los Angeles. And that particular goal was to go to all of the public stairways in Los Angeles.
0: <laughs> How do you is there like a Google map layer for that? How do you find that?
2: Uh, there there is kind of a Google map, but it there there's a stairwalking, like an urban hiking stairwalking like community huh. in LA. That's is this like, like the
0: parkour community that people are doing like you know, backflips and stuff?
2: A lot of it's like older adults. Some of it is people who are training. So one of the people who's really instrumental in it was training for the JMT. Huh. And was like, I don't want to have to drive to the mountains. What can I do here that has similar elevation gain? Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, like the days were like, you know, there were like 5,000 foot days on that
0: track. So this is 300 miles through LA.
2: Yeah. Damn. And you're going
1: up and down every staircase. Right. What does it have to be like a typical, like what an architect would consider a floor of stairs, like from floor one to floor two for it to count as a stairway? Or are you finding every like step up onto a curb, every set of three stairs <laughs> that leads into it? Like how, how many stairs constitutes
2: so there rules and every stair urban stairwalking community has different rules. But in LA, I believe that they set the limit it, it has to be 10 stairs or more. Okay. So
1: there's more of these there's there's communities of these stairs walkers yes. all over.
0: Yes. Yes. Have you done Philly?
2: I I've uh, I did do I did a one day urban hike in Philly. Um so LA was all about stairs. Philly was all about and I apologize she I can't stays. remember his name. Oh. Kind of no, it was about food. It was um <laughs> There's, like, this famous Philadelphia chef that has multiple restaurants all around town. So I went to all of his restaurants, except for the one that requires reservations. I now like you've got my way. attention. Now this <laughs> yeah. is making more sense.
0: I asked about Philly because I'm picturing the uh, Rocky montage, obviously. Right oh, good. Yeah. The,
1: those are good stairs.
0: The best stairs, yeah. T-
1: triple crown
2: idea. <laughs> triple crown of stairs. <laughs>
0: sure, yeah. Uh, so is 300 miles the longest urban hike that you've done?
2: Yeah, I so um, – Portland, I think, was 250. Uh, I can't even remember. I think Seattle was like 225. New York was 225.
0: What's the shortest thing that you would constitute a through hike in an urban area that you've done? I
2: think probably Chicago, I did. That was a 60 mile two day.
0: Okay. Um, You mentioned Portland. To Chaunce's point, is that the area where sketchy stuff went down?
2: Yeah, I I think we so I was hiking with my friend Virgo who was putting together was was filming it and um, someone saw his camera and felt uncomfortable and and there was a bit of an altercation. Um, some some off some fake Ray Bans were destroyed in the in the altercation the making
0: of that. So they didn't take kind of the fact that there was a camera presence. And they attacked you? Is that what happened? Yeah,
2: they attacked Virgo. Hmm. And he wasn't even filming there, but just the fact that he had it on him.
0: Yeah. Huh. Did that water down your enthusiasm for the endeavor?
2: I don't think so. It was a sunny day, and it was the sort of thing where we're like, we can't believe that happened. Um, I mean, like in Portland, like some of the stairways are would take us through these um like underground pedestrian tunnels and there were people living there and so it's like you know we would walk past encampments in the tunnels that were very narrow and that i i have a thing with tunnels in general i get creeped out by them that felt uncomfortable but people are living their lives down there mm-hmm. um
0: could you redesign your hikes so you don't do tunnels <laughs> i feel like you're in control of the routes right
2: yeah i mean The thing about a route and especially in an urban area that I haven't been to is it's it's, you know, it's a little bit of the wild west when a route comes like you don't know if things are going to go. Like one of the things about urban hiking that is very frustrating is like from my map, I can't quite tell if I'm going to get urban cliffed out.
1: Mm.
3: What
2: does that mean? It means this road looks like it's going to go and then it actually continues like there's a highway or something blocking it and it actually continues like hundreds of feet below where, like on the map it'll look like it connects, but it doesn't connect. It's not actually it's, pedestrian it's not, travelable. Right. Yeah. Or or car travelable. It's just like yeah. the road ends and maybe has the same name, but there's like 100 feet of of, of altitude change between yeah. two points.
1: Are you getting stopped by the cops in any, well, okay, damn, I want to, got <laughs> another one, but I'm going to ask this one first. Are you getting stopped by the cops on any of these urban hikes and then being like, what's up? Are you good? Because I feel like <laughs> if if I were to go off of a road into like one of those embankments like next to a highway where you kind of see the trash build up and then go past it looking for another way to the road, I, I think a cop would stop me and ask what I'm doing.
2: Right? Or wrong. I don't think anyone has ever been like, what are you doing?
0: I feel like in most busy cities, somebody who's there's, a, there's worse things to keep your eyes on. Than <laughs> is else. this
2: a dumb I mean
1: you're both looking at me like this is kind of a I, dumb question? I, I just
0: feel like my recent experience in Denver, I would have to be fucking off pretty hard for the cops to like flag <laughs> me as the guy who's the problem.
1: Fair. Um Okay. So back to the staircases before we go too far past that, because uh, I want to look this up for Denver. But how do you find the public staircases in a city? Is there like a public staircases far out or is there?
2: <laughs> there, is, there, there is a website where people will self-report will report it's, it's not quite far out. Um, there's a book for San Francisco by Ada Bakulinski, which is more of like a day hikers book, but it's fantastic. There's also a book put out by the Mountaineers in Seattle. Um, and I believe there's also a Portland book, although there's not as many stairways in Portland. So I, I crowdsourced that. And I was like, hey, where should I go in Portland? And like, I had hundreds of like points that I had to connect because people were like, oh, this random mural wherever is cool. And I'm like, okay, someone suggested it, so I have to walk there.
0: <laughs> How much of your routes are based on staircases? I guess walk us through your thought process let me even back up further from there. How much of this is you designing the route yourself versus are there pre-established urban routes or is this just something that you're inventing with every city that you go to?
2: I'm pretty much inventing it with every city okay. I go to.
0: So then what is the inspiration for the route? Is it usually staircase based? You mentioned Philadelphia. There is food. Like what, what? How do you decide what is the um, theme that's going to pull you in one direction versus the other?
2: It started with the stairways um, just because that was that was a very easy transition for me from through hiking because it's like, okay, this is physically difficult. Um, I mean, as we were talking about before the show, like I've done quite a few brew throughs now where the theme is the brewery and Mm -hmm. going to all of them. So, I mean, that's kind of the thing I love about urban hiking is like you can make it whatever you want. I did a it, It was a day hike, but I did a taco urban hike. Like, you can just kind of choose what you like and Bruce go walk to it. Idea. This sounds like a Patreon episode
1: that we'll do. Like a golden brew a golden brew through.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: It doesn't have to be very long.
0: <laughs> they usually are. And they end poorly, but it sounds like a really good This time.
1: could be our activity we do with Mara yeah. and Rachel.
0: And Because it's work-related, I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, nice.
1: Chicken Tramper Ultralight Gear, known on trail as Sea Tug, is a hiker-founded gear company based in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. I know you share a passion for top-notch gear, and that's why I'm stoked that today's episode is brought to you by Sea Tug. As someone who's tested plenty of gear, I trust buying gear made by hikers. They know how specific gear needs to be for through-hiking and backpacking, and have focused their efforts to solve hikers' problems for the last five years their shoulder strap gear will attach to any backpack to carry items and keep them within reach. For instance, the water bottle sleeve, weighing just 1.6 ounces, attaches to your pack strap, making it uber convenient to grab your water bottle. This encourages you to stay properly hydrated on trail, maximizing your hiking potential. I used this on my Ozark Highlands trail hike, and that is the most hydrated I have ever been on a single trail. I'm used to pacing out my brakes so that I don't take my backpack off until it's time for me to sit down and I wait to drink water until then, and on this trail I was able to have it at my fingertips whenever I needed a sip of water. Their shoulder strap foam pocket offers this same convenience for your phone, so you can quickly confirm your location via GPS app, snag that epic wildlife shot, or simply to keep up with the latest episode of Backpacker Radio. SeaTug offers a variety of gear specifically catered to long-distance backpackers, including hiker wallets, fanny packs, backpacks, and more. To save 15% off SeaTug gear, head to Chickentrampergear.com and use code BPR15 at checkout. That's BPR, the number 15, at Chickentrampergear.com for 15% off. This code applies to all their gear, excluding backpacks and camera bags. Again, that is code BPR15 at Chickentrampergear.com.
0: Okay, so what has been the, your top urban hiking experience? If you could Go back and re-hike any of the urban hikes that you've done. Maybe you have. Have you done any of them multiple times?
2: I've never done them exactly the same way multiple times. I've done a few in Denver, but... I mean that's the thing about a city is you can you sure. can go back and like
0: it would be silly to do the exact same route twice right yeah yeah but if i guess if i don't know is this just asking what's your favorite city to be in or if like maybe you just drew up a really sick route that like somebody else should follow the track <laughs> <just like that. laughs> so you got to watch on youtube only the Zach youtubers can hip.
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i now. really enjoyed seattle quite a bit um I thought that had a lot of really interesting stairways and neighborhoods. Um,
0: Do you uh, share the maps of your routes?
2: Yeah, I will. I'll usually like be like, oh, st- stayed at a friend's house. It's somewhere in this area.
0: Mm-hmm. Just ask for Steve. Knock on the door three times. <laughs> but, Say you that know, snorkel sent you.
2: The thing about like that Seattle hike is I had this list from their parks department of where the stairways were, but they didn't actually know if it was accurate. Like Some of them had crumbled. Some of them had been like, taken over by pl- by the vegetation some and this happens pretty often with the stairways like whoever the neighbors are will like put up no trespassing signs and then you're like uh do i do it do i not do it actually that's that's one time when i had a bit of a altercation with well the the cops didn't get called but they i had the cops threatened to be called on me for like some stairways that were um like had a no trespassing sign that shouldn't have
0: but that's a good question
2: yeah Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it is. I mean, like, that's the thing is you never know. Like, you, in a city, you're like, oh, everything's going to be really clear as opposed to, like, a route where you're like, am I going to get cliffed out? Um, but, yeah, you can get cliffed out in a city. Mm. Um,
1: What about, like, things that you don't worry as much about when you're in the woods, such as when you have to go poop? Are you having mm-hmm. any oh, public poos or are you finding, like, an indoor flush toilet anytime?
2: I knock on wood, have not had to public poo yet on an urban hike. Um, I have had some close calls. I have had to like be like in a super residential area and I'm like, oh no, the closest like public looking restaurant that might let me poop is like a mile away
1: would you bury it if you like? Let's say it was an emergency and you had to take a shit on one of these public hikes. Are you gonna like go to the, the shoulder of the highway and bury it in the hard like rock dirt, or are you bringing a doggy
2: bag? <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't brought a doggy bag on an urban hike. Maybe I should. It's not a bad idea. I uh, so. It's a bag? responsible way to do it. Yeah. Sure. So for uh, a Tree Line Review, I um, put together an April Fool's Day story that actually. I, because I have a gear centered mind, ended up not being an April Fool's Day story. That was a very elaborate review of different wag bags, (laughs) (laughs) human waste bags. Um, And one of the wag bags that I reviewed is like this sort of like skirt thing that you wear that like you poop in the skirt while you're standing up. It's meant to just
1: drops anywhere. Yeah, it
2: just drops, but like you're fully covered. So that actually might be what I would try to do <laughs> wait a second a, a,
0: I just say before we move on I need to acknowledge the fact that we're not the only people that have April Fool's their way into a poop uh, thing. Oh, yeah. April,
1: <laughs> April Fool's jokes are not good um,
0: <laughs> no, I'm talking about pooping in the woods I know
1: submit a story yeah. <laughs> but like they didn't it wasn't a joke it didn't end up saying a joke yeah, that's what I'm saying <laughs> uh, this is where
0: all the best ideas come from yes. especially the best poop related ideas uh,
1: and, and I'm gonna and I'm going to be very cautious about what I post next April Fool's <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so this this skirt bag so i'm thinking like you have a trash bag that is connected at your ankles that you're just like loosely shitting in and it's getting on like your thighs and like your legs as it's dropping to the bottom of the bag how is how is this <laughs> skirt going on you where you're not shitting on yourself
2: it, it's kind of like suspended a little bit
0: but your so legs the poop are in doesn't it doesn't
2: have to go as far yeah your legs are it's like wraps around it's got to wrap around
0: so she, you're not of, Obviously, walking while you poop. No, 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 You're no, no, squatting.
2: No. Yeah. Can you? We're not dogs.
0: <laughs> can you
1: walk and poop at the same time?
0: This is a George Carlin joke that turned into a CKY skit, which was like the predecessor to um, Jackass. And the answer is you can run at a full speed. and poop. No. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. There's... To my homeboys who've seen this like VHS video that have been passed around,
1: is this with the addition of laxatives or is this just yeah, like a natural poop? It was laxative. In,
0: no, it's laxative induced for sure. I don't
2: know if that counts. You have to have control of the muscles.
0: I don't know, but it's a funny video. Okay. I,
2: I think it's probably really hard. We've been so enculturated to like you know poop in only specified areas. I think it would be very hard to train your mind to be like, all oh. right, I'm running. I'm gonna poop at the same time. Let's do this. Well, you I think have you to be need o-
0: laxatives. To make you it have happen. to
1: be okay with pooping on yourself because if you're not, then you're doing the waddle, and then I think that makes it harder. You got to just walk normal. And- you're definitely
0: fighting instincts for sure.
2: So this is actually because of the the cut water. Hopefully one day <laughs> you will sponsor this podcast. Yeah, um, thank you. This is a great segue for on my ATFKT. I was up in Maine. It was very wet and cold. And I was up on one of the bulbs and I was so cold to the point where I'm like, I think I'm kind of nearing hypothermia. I need to start making some decisions. And I remembered what my buddy Gantz on the, on the PCT has said. He got so cold in the sear. His feet were numb. And so he was like, you know what? I have this great source of body heat that I can just make. And he peed on his feet sure. to make them so they're not dumb anymore. I, I love how you're like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, like a hiker crew, like you tell this story to like a bunch of Girl Scouts, and they just start giggling. Yeah, yeah, i yeah. heard that, and
1: I hope I don't butcher this, um, this stat, this knowledge. Um, but I've heard, unless I'm getting this wrong, that if you are really, really cold it helps to pee because your body takes energy and uses it because your pee has to sit at a certain temperature. So your body takes energy that would go to keeping you hot and it diverts it to keeping your pee to this certain temperature. And so if you pee out your pee, then it doesn't sit there in you anymore and your body doesn't have to use that energy to keep it warm. So it yeah. can keep
2: the rest of you warm. There's a scientific term for that, which I forgot. But yeah, that's totally true. Hmm. And then if you take that warm water that in the form of pee and put it on your frozen feet... That's kind of like functions like a hot water bottle up against your foot so it can help with the numbness. Oh, so
1: that sounds so, that's such a smart idea.
2: On the AT, I was like, my feet are cold, my legs are cold. I'm just going to pee in my leggings onto myself Uh to warm up both my legs and my feet. And it was really hard to be like, okay, not taking anything off, just peeing on myself. Let's go. Even though I was freezing cold, I had to pee anyway. I knew it would help. I, like, I, it just was like, it was really hard.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. Did your leggings not, like, then get that cold wet? Like, how if something's wet? Yeah, I feel like
0: it's one of it those they, they were things. already soaked. They were oh. already oh, soaked. Okay. Yeah,
2: because it was raining. Yeah,
0: because that seems like one of those things where, like, you're warm for a second and then no, <laughs> you're just they, wet. No, they were,
2: they were cold wet already, so Got I was it. like, okay, they're going to be warm wet now <laughs>
0: Is it, that's what they tell people when you're wearing wetsuits right like when that, you're cold to just pee yourself because it warms you up
2: that was kind of what I was
0: thinking yeah Yeah. Huh. so it worked yeah it worked yeah I guess if you're already wet already and you don't like on a through hike you already smell like piss right. even <laughs> exactly. if you haven't pissed yourself why not
1: I, I don't know. Um, this, it reminds me of when I stayed abroad in Thailand because there's a full moon party they do every month where like on the full moon, this one island just like rages mm. and it's an island. So there's beach right there. Um, but people just go into the ocean to pee. Um, but like you don't pull your pants down because it's ocean. So people usually just stand there in their wet shorts and pee and then just come back out of the water. Yeah. Um, That's what it reminded me of. Yeah because your pants are just still on and you're just not caring. It's just primal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It
2: helps when when you're raging,
0: though. Yeah,
2: if it's it's a brew through.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else that is worth touching on related to the urban hikes? Actually, I want to hear, so you mentioned staircases, you mentioned food in Philadelphia, you mentioned brew hikes, what are some of the other themes that you've used to draw routes? You mentioned obviously like you're basing it on where you have contacts, so you've got a place to sleep. Are there any other like notable themes that you've drawn for cities that you've been in?
2: Yeah, um one the re- one really really cool one that I worked on, um I partnered with the Trust for Public Land that um has this really cool project in New York where they're they've taken a bunch of um public schoolyards that, like, in New York, they're super sad. They're, like, essentially, like, these kids are going to school with, like, no playgrounds and, like, just, like, cement parking lots as they're, like, where they're playing. So they've – the Trust for Public Land has gone in and, like, planted trees and put in playgrounds and, like, turned that area into a park. And they've done that all throughout the city. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did this um, hike that went through all five boroughs that connected all of the different schoolyards that they had converted which was really, really cool to see sort of like, like um, communities, like all of these different communities using the parks when the school's not in session. Like you would have like grandmas and grandpas hanging out and families. And you're like, wow, like the city now has parks. And um, it just kind of like, like to me was really powerful because we think of like people who live in New York, like, oh, they don't care about nature. It's like, it's, it's not because they don't care. It's, Because there hasn't been access, yeah. Yeah.
1: What are some of the, like, one-off, not like, oh, I love the city, this city was great, but one-off, like, this one view or this one spot, like, in particular things, what are one or several of the, like, big standout, took you by surprise, that's really cool, things you've seen on these urban hikes?
2: Hmm... I mean, some of the stairways are really cool. I, you know, I think a lot of it is like experiences with people who join me because that's like an awesome thing about an urban hike is like it's a lot easier to be like, hey, come join me in the city to come walk for like 10 miles versus like, let's go on a hike in the mountains, especially for like my friends that are not like super, like through hikers, essentially. Um, I did Halloween in on the Seattle urban hike in costume, which was super fun.
3: Um,
2: And it was like pouring rain. It was like, whatever, we're just going to walk up and down these stairways in costumes in the rain. It's just like, you know, those are the sort of memories that stick with me.
0: Are you carrying a backpack? Like, what is your gear set up for this? Because you said you're not obviously sleeping in the streets, You don't need a tent. You don't need a sleeping bag. Uh, Are you just bringing a couple extra layers, some snacks? Like, what is your gear set up?
2: Yeah, it's more like a day hike um, for the most part. And I actually carry more clothes for an urban hike than I would for a through
0: hike. Because Because you're not carrying the other stuff?
2: Yeah, and also just, like, I feel like because I'm in the city, I should maybe make an effort to, like, not smell like piss.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're not keeping yourself warm in that route in the city, noted. What have been... How much of your route – because my inner fat boy comes out when you talk about an urban hike. I feel like all my routes would just be based on food. Yeah, that's awesome. How much of your routes are you just, like, picking apart the best restaurants and cities? Because that's my motivation for doing something like this. Oh, yeah, it, that,
2: that's, that that is pretty high on the list, especially, yeah. like, asking locals, like, what's the best place – where's the pla- go-to place in this neighborhood?
0: Have there been a, one or three places in any city that have stood out to you being, like, damn i need to come back to this place
2: oh yeah um there's a couple bakeries in seattle like seattle's bakery scene was really good um when i did the grand rapids brew through there was actually like some good pizza places in there um yeah there's so much and like la like there's such good food It's san francisco for that matter like you know i'm like going to like michelin gourmand pizza places along the way <laughs> it's like yeah
0: i remember i drove up i want to. A uh, silent auction thing to go meet Morgan Spurlock, which he bailed on. Thanks, Morgan. Uh, but I was already in the city, and one friend that lived there recommended this is, I think, a kind of a cliche place, but Cat's uh, Delicatessen. Oh, yeah. I went and I got a pastrami sandwich from there, something like that. And I was eating it as I was driving, and I almost had to pull over. The sandwich was so good; I was like moaning while I was eating it. Like it just goes to show that uh, cities that have good food are just on a whole other level. Like I don't think you could find something like that yeah. in Denver. Yeah. Um, okay, so can you give us a quick rundown of the urban hikes that you've done?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I I apologize to any city that I don't remember. So, L. A. was the first. San Francisco, Portland, Seattle. Um, I've done some brew throughs in. Denver was the first one and the hardest one. Um, Do
0: you remember how many breweries you hit?
2: There were 65 breweries plus a meadery, a cidery, and a kombucha reef.
0: Did you get a beer at every one of these places? Yeah. I mean, the beer how is How many like, days?
2: It was eight days, I think. Okay.
0: <laughs> you did that in like two days and be like, holy smokes. You know, wheelbarrow to take I you mean, out of there.
2: It was, it was um, like more than 100 miles. So
0: I'm just saying to. Get sixty five drinks in you is uh, that's an yeah. undertaking. Yeah, that's yeah. Massive. You
2: know, it was samplers. People for some reason it was really easy to get friends to come along on that hike. <laughs> you know, shockingly. Go figure, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: do you have a favorite brewery in Denver?
2: Yeah, you know when I when I did the the I mean the Denver Brew Through came up because when I was living in Denver I tried to keep on top of all the new breweries that were opening. I set a New Year's resolution of like, I'm going to try to go to every brewery in Denver. And there were so many popping up. It yeah. was impossible. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, the only as a thru-hiker, the only way I'm going to do this is if I hike to all of them in one go. <laughs> uh, so we started at Crooked Stave, um, which, which was one of my favorite that I had been to um, in Denver. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do a sampler of one of everyone you have on tap.
0: <laughs> Famous last words.
2: And it was $75. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot do that for the next 65 beers. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Do
0: you have a go-to variety of beer? Like, are you going for the IPA? you going for the Pilsner? What's your –
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I like IPAs. I, um, so that was kind of – You you know, I would do a lot of research beforehand to be like, what is this brewery known for? So I I would try to like get what their most famous beer was.
0: Okay. I cut you off when you mentioned brew through. (laughs) What what were the other urban hikes?
2: Um, Let's see. I've done a Grand Rapids brew through. I did a Ventura brew through as well. Um, Let's see. Chicago was a shorter urban hike. New York was the long long urban hike. Tucson was was a pretty long hike. They had just come out with a new urban trail system. And as part of their kickoff, they invited me to come walk there. They call it the loop. And it's just like, it's a loop around the city. That's like a really sweet trail. Um, I think that's it. I was supposed to go do an urban through hike in San Antonio that I had put through um, that I put together. And um, I was supposed to leave to go hike that on March 20th, 2022. Ah. So that unfortunately never, never got to happen.
0: Yeah. I had a question and it's now escaping. (laughs) Okay, it'll come back, I think. But uh, you mentioned now hiking fast, AT, this is all coming to a head. Uh, So you set the FKT on the AT in 2011, Uh, same year I hiked it, same year Jennifer Farr Davis hiked it. Um, First, give us the category of FKT because I know there's a lot. And uh, was this your first fast through
2: hike, yeah. This was this was my first fast through hike. Uh, it's it was self supported, um, and uh, yeah. I mean, I, I actually was talking. I, I was on another podcast last week, and they're like, "Hey, I think your FKT for a northbound self supported women's through hike still holds." And I was like, "Really?
0: Huh? Yeah. Hey, are you surprised that that's the case? Because I feel like the FKT scene in the last." Ten years has like blown up. Like it's yeah. Become a, like it's not only just through hikers, but it's ultra runner. Like it's it's attracted a lot of people. Are you surprised that that's still holding?
2: Oh, for sure. But I I also think self supported kind of attracts a different sort of person mm-hmm. than who's often drawn to FKTs and the ATs. Just it's a commitment. It's really long,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and so you really have to go out there. I mean. I think the reason why, and you probably feel this, like I love the AT. I loved being on the AT. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like every day I got up, I was like, it wasn't like, oh, I have to do these many miles to be able to meet this goal. It was like, I get to be on the AT. I get to see this waterfall or this really cool thing that I loved from my first hike.
0: In how many days was the FKT?
2: That was 80 and a half.
0: 80 and a half. I know you've written a piece on how to hike. I think the title was like, how to hike your biggest mile day what are your tips for somebody that wants to up their mileage game
2: yeah get getting up early hiking late um i think really having your gear dialed in before you go hydration nutrition pretty important um keeping those pretty regular
0: what do you do from a nutritional standpoint
2: yeah i mean i think a lot of it has to do with timing and not letting yourself get to a point of bonking
0: yeah so are you eating every hour every two hours like what's your mo
2: i usually go about every two hours
0: okay and are you aiming for a particular like macronutrient or like what's your philosophy there?
2: I should do that um, I generally I generally go around like three hundred to four hundred calories every every
0: two hours. Are you looking to get a certain quality of nutrition like are you taking supplements on trail are you taking are you eating bags of spinach like <laughs> like what are you doing to sustain yourself?
2: Yeah, you know when I did the ATFkt I had like a bag of, like, fish oil and, like, folic acid, like, all sorts of things. And, like, I haven't hiked with that stuff since. Um, maybe I should. Um, yeah, I would say, yeah, I think across the day, the thing about a big mile day and a, and a fast-through hike is its consistency and it's it's not pushing too hard. I think that happens way too often mm-hmm. that people just, like, Be like, I'm hiking fast, and they go all out, and then they, like, get tired or they get injured and burned out.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you were so successful on your first one because I feel like you have to have a couple of failures to get it right, to, like, learn that lesson that you're talking about. Is it because the AT is so long that you were able to, like, learn that lesson early on and then uh, compensate later on?
2: I think, you know – The ATFKT for me in many ways is like I had already hiked the Triple Crown. So there was a lot of like learning how to deal with big mile days. Um, And, you know, for me, hiking the AT a second time, like I was excited to see it again. And I was excited to take all the things I'd learned from like the CDT, which was like a very hard experience. Like, Like the AT was like so fun for me because like it had a trail and it had water. And it had signs and it had towns and it had people. Uh, just like all these things the CDT didn't have that it's like, even though I was self-supported, I felt like just the fact there was like a, like water, made <laughs> it feel like it was supported. Sure. Or like shelters.
0: Yeah. Is it hard for you to get up for an urban hike having all these cool like backcountry experiences too? Because I could see somebody who's like diehard urban hiker who doesn't do a ton of the cool backcountry hikes that you've done. But like you've got to really – Uh, extensive resume in both areas. Is it, is it tough for you to get excited for an urban hike after doing all these other cool trails?
2: Yeah. There's not a lot of crossover between the two. Like there's a pretty robust, um, mostly day hiking based urban hiking communities. Obviously there's a pretty robust through hiking community, but um, yeah, to me it's like, like when I'm walking, I get into this mindset of exploration um, and it kind of like starts feeling the same. I mean, I still like I I still like the wilderness ones better Mm -hmm. for sure. But, um, you know, like it's cool to go to a new city and just walk around and like meet cool people and see things.
0: Yeah. It's a really novel perspective that you have, because we talk to a lot of people here that they won't even hike the 80 because they they think it's too crowded, let alone going and like hiking through a city. It just seems like you like walking in any capacity (laughs) Is that an accurate assessment?
2: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, when you're in a city, if you're – you get into the groove of a mindset, it's like, you know, the cars kind of become boulders and people become <laughs> trees. And it's like you're just, like, there. You're present and you're, like, having a great time.
1: Huh. Um, I have a question. So in the, in the intro that Zach um, – Butchered. Butchered. <laughs> I was trying to think of a kinder word, but that's a good one. He, like, there was the part where you like to hike fast, you like to hike solo – can't remember their third word light um for someone who's hiking solo and, and doing like the urban stuff or the trail stuff what do you do like how you were saying the cars turn to boulders didn't it just get like really cold all of a sudden it's just always
0: cold in here suddenly
1: the temp dropped yeah. um what do you what kind of stuff do you do as a solo hiker to keep your mind entertained like what kind of I, i'm just thinking of mind games from the cars turning to boulder comment
2: is this on an urban hike or a wilderness hike?
1: doesn't matter. Whichever has the best answer.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I have a so- whole sort of like meditation morning routine that I do when I walk. Um, I li- at like many through hikers. I listen to podcasts and music and um, a lot of books. Um, I usually try to be like, all right, I can't start, start listening to stuff until like noon or like partway through the day. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I would say a lot of it is sort of this like. I, I count a lot, which sounds a little bit weird, but it's very like calming.
1: Like, do you start from one?
0: Yeah. What's the
1: highest number you've gotten? Well, to? I usually
2: do. I usually do like sets of one hundred.
0: Oh, okay. I was hoping you'd say like eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Got really hard after that.
2: I also like brush my teeth as I walk. I put oh, on yeah, my that's sunscreen as I walk, and like I, I kind of like kind of do that in conjunction with counting. So it's like, I'm doing all these chores. So it's like, you know, really by the time I've done all of these like morning chores, it's like, oh, it's already 10.
1: I'm sure I've counted to 11 a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. In terms of the listening to music, I don't know if you do this. So maybe this will be a question that doesn't have an end. But like one of the things that I really like to do on a long trail is listen to music that makes me feel like I'm in a movie. Um, for example, Lord of the Rings, great soundtrack to listen to in the woods. Um, or I've listened to like Game of Thrones. Like there's just there's good soundtracks that fit in woodsy settings. What are there any urban soundtracks like movies that you could listen to a soundtrack on an urban hike? Or do you are you normal and don't do that?
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> I actually don't think I've been I listened to that much stuff on an urban through hike. Um, just because I'm, like, popping into restaurants or, like, a lot of times I have people who want to join with me. Yeah, it's kind of like a different flow. And also, um, I do use the headphones that don't go inside of the ear, um, whether I'm hiking on a trail or in an urban area. But, like, I'm especially really, really careful with, like, listing for cars and stuff in an urban through hike
0: Total swerve. I see that you're wearing <laughs> you're wearing a Melly right now. Yeah. I feel like mid layers have become a much more popular and like trendy thing over the last handful of years, and I'm sure you've tested everything. Um, do you, in addition to the Melly, which I'm assuming you like because you're wearing it, are there any things, are there any mid layers that stand out for you?
2: I mean, I love the Apco stuff. Um, I wish they made a dress because I'm wearing a Melly dress. I'd like to be very specific. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Would you not wear just a regular Melly on a thru-hike, or is it just specifically the dress that you like?
2: Um, I, I like the dress. It's specifically the dress I like. I think, for me, the melee's a little bit heavy to use as a mid-layer. Mm. Um, that being said, I mean, the Apco is heavy, but I used it on the Superior Hiking Trail and was very, very happy to because I did that pretty late in the season. Um, yeah, that's my thought on mid-layers.
0: What's – I know Alpha is all the rage right now. What have you? What's your favorite Alpha – um, integrated product that you've tested
2: yeah I mean I used a Senshi on on um, the Arizona trail which I just got off of or just um, finished that through hike um, and it was yeah it was great
0: are there other apparel items that are up and coming that you're really excited about um let's
2: see apparel items you know, one of the things – this is kind of more of a trend than a specific item, but I'm really um, hopeful that a lot of brands are starting to come out with more plus-size options. I think that's super, super important. Um, so that's Worth kind Worth of...
0: stating you're not a plus-size person. But, I mean, it's a good thing to highlight, but just for the listener's perspective. Oh, yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I think it's super important, and it's like the outdoor industry has been way, way behind in this. And so it's yeah. given me
0: some hope. Yeah, over the last handful of years, yeah. you know, there's been a big – move in that direction for sure
1: with all the gear you review if you had to like just cut a piece of gear off the universe like this just doesn't matter what and i'm not saying like a brand name i'm not saying like eliminate a gear brand but like a like an item that you usually find in people's packs what item would you cut from existence
2: i'll i'll, I'll say the name uh i hope this doesn't bother my friends over this company the Nano Puff, way overrated Huh. is I it actually a quilty on feeling one yeah i actually carried that on on my atfkt i think um i think there are other um other layers that even put out by the same brand that are warmer lighter better weight ratio um puffier yeah i think it's it's just like a trend thing that people used to look cool and like that's great but it's, it's not the most functional piece of gear.
1: Is that today's Ghost Whisperer? Because I know the Ghost Whisperer was, like, trendy for a long time.
2: Um, yeah, I would say, I think the Ghost Whisperer is, is more functional than the Nano Puff.
1: What about, like, a piece of gear, like, in the broader sense, like, the item? Like, for the Nano Puff, that would be a, I would consider that probably your Puffy. Um, but I don't know if I would cut a Puffy from existence what? Like,
2: category-wise? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Ooh. Um, I mean, I probably don't even carry the cat- that category. I've already probably, like, so, like, stricken it from my-, my gear list that I go through whenever I pack for a trip that... That's a good question.
0: You I'm can like, meditate on that one. Do you use a pillow?
2: I don't use a pillow. But I, I also want to say that I have a lot of respect for, for-, for like... Especially as as hikers get older, like, some people are like, yeah, I couldn't do this without a pillow.
1: Yeah. I have a lot of envy for people, mims, that carry pillows because I've tried the pillow, like, when I've been allowed to borrow it for a tryout, <laughs> and I'm jealous of anyone hiking with a pillow.
0: i found my enjoyment of it goes up when I wrap it with something soft. Mm-hmm. It gets too hot for me. Just, like, head on the direct fabric if you put, like, a like a merino layer around it or something like that. It's it's much comfier for me, at least. What, what about footwear nowadays? I'm I'm sure it's trail dependent, but like do you have like a go-to thing that you're using on 75% of your hikes?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was like in the first class of uh Ultra Ambassadors. Yeah. Um I haven't been an ambassador for them since um I dropped all my sponsors when I started working for Wirecutter. Um The New York Times has a very strict code of ethics. Um but the, yeah, they're still my go-to shoes and you know, like now it's like, oh, the the ultras are like a basic thing. <laughs> like, you're a basic three hiker if you go to ultras. But you know, they worked for me, and I spent a really long time having shoes that didn't work for me.
0: Yeah, there's been some kickback on the ultra thing uh, in the last couple of years. It seems like because of the durability issues. Have you run into that?
2: Um, I would say I think the last few models have got it have have gotten a lot better. I have other issues with the most recent models, but I think they've um made some strides on durability.
0: Okay. Any other gear item in any category that you're especially excited about?
2: Especially. I mean the Senshi's are pretty cool or the Alpha Alpha is pretty cool these days. Um yeah, I I'm, I'm pretty another trend sort of um I am pretty hardened by like the increase in um pack straps that are taking more of a fast packing model. Mm-hmm. So like the Kumo Fast Pack that came out this year. You was, like or dislike? I like it.
1: I kind of like it, too.
2: Um,
1: I just, I didn't know what you meant
2: when yeah. you said that. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I I think it's, you know, like, more accessibility is a good thing in my mind.
0: Yeah. Have you tried Drago's pack?
2: I actually haven't.
0: I like it for that reason. The yeah. shoulder straps are beefy, stretchy, like... That's the best feature of the pack is the shoulder straps.
2: Yeah, and having that easy storage is so helpful. Yeah, totally I agree. just
1: think there should be like a life vest pack. Pat pending. I think there should be a life <laughs> vest pack where like it doesn't clip in the front, but it goes – like you pull it over your head and there's a back and a front, and then it clips on the sides like a life vest does. Because mm. when, I, when I did the Colorado Trail and I carried that small dog that my ex had for the parts that it was too tired to walk itself – The infamous dog. The infamous (laughs) dog. Yeah, that one. As much as it was like I'm adding this weight, this 18 pounds of weight that is heavy, there was something that felt really good about my back and my front then being balanced. And I always wonder, like, why doesn't someone – like, you can't fit a lot in the straps even if you thicken the straps because you still have to then buckle it in the middle – but why doesn't someone just make like a, a big front pocket and you just like slap it over your head like you're tossing a life vest down on the Titanic and then <laughs> clip the sides together and you're now you got balanced weight. I think if I were to ever make something, it'd be something like that.
3: Yeah.
2: And like, I've heard that there are some sort of like European brands that have that mindset of sort of front packing and backpacking. Like I haven't hiked the TA, but I've I've heard that on the TA, like you'll see people who have like a pack in the front and say that that's the reason that they're they're trying to balance out their front and pack.
1: They call it front packing. I
2: okay. mean that I call I, I I've called it front packing. They're they're. <laughs> I'm front packing the Colorado <laughs> Trail this year. <laughs>
0: um. Sort of, and again, you wrote a piece about how to keep your feet happy while snow hiking. What are those tips?
2: Yeah, this took me a long time um, to figure out. The first time I hiked the PCT through the Sierra, like, my feet were in so much pain from being cold and wet the whole time. And, like, it made it like I would not want to keep walking at all because I would dread getting into the icy water again. So, um waterproof shoes, waterproof socks right up against the skin is as a merino liner. Um I've been called the sock queen cuz I as as much as I go fast and light, I carry like an obscene amount of socks with me. <laughs> Are you using seal skins? Um I do use uh yeah, I I'd, I'd say seals I still haven't found a 100% the waterproof sock that I love, but yeah, I've I've got using seal skins. Okay.
1: With all the gear reviews you do, What are some of the things that you would say have been like the biggest eye opening things for you that you've learned since before reviewing gear to after all the gear you've reviewed? Like, what are some of the big mind blowing moments?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, the outdoor industry is is an industry. So it really gave me an appreciation for sort of like how 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 much it means to have like independent gear reviews, especially since a lot of the big players or it's like a sort of like pay to play to get reviewed and that sort of thing. Um, I think that that's not necessarily widely known when people are going out and picking gear. And like when they go look at a magazine or something, like how much of that is Mm. like actually the best versus how much of it is sort of this like negotiation.
1: Do they not do they not pay you to review their stuff? Oh
2: no. Oh. Should they? Maybe <laughs> yeah, I'm missing out on money.
1: <laughs> I mean you probably put a lot of time into it. But so th- so tree line review, it's just it's yeah, straight from you, unpaid. You don't
2: Yeah, we're we're independent. We choose what we want to review. Um yeah, it's it's um What
1: has been a piece of gear that has surprised you the most? Like you didn't have high hopes, you reviewed it, and then you were like, This
2: fucking rocks. Actually the Senchi. I mean, it looks silly. It's see-through. I'm like, how warm can this be? Uh, You know, like I had friends who were like very, who are very early adopters. Um, I would say one of the things we do at Treeline is we're not as big as being early adopters. um, Because I feel like, you know, like one of our tenets is really like we want people to buy right the first time and not to regret their purchases. And part of this is part of our greater environmental mission is like buying less stuff is better for the planet. So we want to wait a couple years to really, like, see if it's good before we, like, tell people to go out and get one. So that's how I felt about the Senshi. Like, my friends were like, oh, this is so cool. I'm like, you look like a Muppet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's something – and this is probably less backpacker and more, like – people that do gear review stuff you I'm sure you run into this all the time where PR people are pitching you on gear stuff and it's no fault of them they just don't know like what our community uses so I feel like 80% of the stuff (laughs) or more that they pitch to us is just irrelevant and maybe this is the exact question that Chauncey just asked but are there things that were like fringe items like maybe like outside of a category of being relevant to a thru-hiker that you're like, yeah, I guess I'll give this a shot, and it ended up surprising you. You mentioned the century. Is there anything that fits that category as well?
2: Yeah, that's fringy. Hmm. So at Treeline Review, we we have a very, very robust thru-hiking section, um, but we also do running, um, mountain biking, skiing, um, water sports, fishing, and, you know, like some of the some of the stuff that's like more designed for other sports, I've also been like, huh, I wonder if that would be good for through hiking. Um, I think, you know, like um among Yeah, I guess like among skiers, like the waterproof socks are, are mm-hmm. pretty popular and that was something where I'm like, you know, I don't spend uh, on a typical through hike like you've got like the San Juans or you've got the Sierra, and then you're not thinking waterproof socks ever again. Mm-hmm. But they're very popular with skiers and I'm like, oh, so actually, you know, like maybe this could be a solution for keeping my feet happier because through hikers are in such a, this mindset of like, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. Like this will be over soon, which is true. But if it's to the point where it's impacting your hike that you don't want to keep hiking, like, yeah, let's look at what other sports are doing because they've solved this problem. Like they're on the snow the whole entire time they're out there.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: What's a piece of gear Besides the waterproof socks that another sport uses that you think is still would still definitely fall in the underrated category for through hiking. Hmm. Like it's not on the radar yet, but it should be.
2: Hmm. Man, you're you tossing all these difficult gear questions at me. It's not me, it's the cutwater. <laughs> it makes me really smart. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there's some um like I think, I think a lot of um, running designs, there's crossover with through hiking. So you can talk about, like, the sort of more running vest style of through hiking packs. That's like a crossover, right? That has, like, become a little bit more mainstream. Um, yeah, I, I think also, um, like, fanny packs, like, running belts also, there's that sort of, yeah, sort of, like, crossover. Oftentimes runners, for some reason, use like heavier fabrics, but I think a lot of times when you look at that sort of like running stuff, you're like, okay, how can I take the same design, lighten up the fabric for through hiking, and like turn it into something that like we actually would want to use. Hmm.
0: You mentioned Appalachian Gear Company. What is it that you like about alpaca over merino?
2: Yeah. Um... Yeah, I I mean, I like how the Apco's fit. Their colors are cool. Um, I think that the Apco as a mid-layer is like, I like the breathability a lot. I think that the way that they've they've knitted it is such that um, it's probably bigger stitches than you would be able to pull off with Merino without it like starting to fall apart or lose some durability. Um, and as a result, that really helps with the breathability when you're, like, exerting in colder temperatures, just mm. what it was like for the, me on the Superior Hiking Trail. Um, I think with both Merino and with the um, Alpaca, like, they're both going to stay warm when wet, which is was so great on the Superior Hiking Trail. Um, yeah. I think up until fairly recently, it was that we didn't quite have the technology to make like cool colors in with Merino. Now, like, I mean, I have, I have a smart wool that's like tie dye color, which is really cool. Yeah. But like the Apcos, like, they're a newer brand, but from the start, they started with really cool colors. Yeah.
0: If you've listened to this podcast for any period of time, I've sounded like a broken record about the importance of supplementing with electrolytes while backpacking. During my first thru-hike, I landed in the hospital with a condition called hyponatremia, a fancy term for low blood sodium levels. Symptoms included intense headaches, dizziness, and generally feeling like a bag of Richards. This happened as a result of heavy sweating, over-consuming water, and under-consuming electrolytes. A couple of saline IVs and a hefty medical bill later, and my energy was magically restored. Somewhat counterintuitively, but electrolytes become even more important in cold temperatures and at elevation, as our thirst decreases at a faster pace and we lose fluids via sweat and urine. In other words, electrolytes and backpacking go together like peanut butter and jelly, which is why I'm thrilled to introduce today's sponsor, Elements. Elements is a science-backed, zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix designed to support active hydration and a healthy lifestyle. Element has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to help you feel and perform your best on trail and beyond. Electrolytes like sodium, potassium, and magnesium are essential for energy, as well as muscle and brain function. And unlike other electrolyte products, Element has generous portions of them. You're guaranteed to find an Element flavor you love. There's fan favorite raspberry salt, you can get spicy with mango chili, or mix chocolate salt into your morning coffee for a lean mocha. I've enjoyed all of their flavors, but my personal favorite is the Citrus Salt. It tastes like a margarita, tequila, salt separately. Free stuff alert, Backpacker Radio listeners can score a free sample pack, which comes with one packet of every flavor, eight in total, with any purchase by going to drinklmnt.com slash trek. Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash trek, and you'll get eight free packets with any purchase. You have to use the URL, no coupon code is necessary. That's drinklmnt.com slash trek to get this deal, which is only good for a limited time. Let's get off gear for a second. <laughs> yeah. because <laughs> uh, you've done so much backpacking. What in your mind of the trails that you've done is the most underrated trail in the US? PNT. PNT? Mm.
2: Yeah. It's rad.
0: You're the second person recently to say something in that Nick Fowler felt that way. Also Mm -hmm. give us the sales pitch on the PNT.
2: Yeah. I mean the spots you go uh, next to on the PNT are like probably like the most postcard beautiful of like any three rank, like Mount Baker, what you see in the Olympic glacier. It's like greatest hits. Bam, bam, bam. Um, With some road walking in between. But um, I also think, you know, I love the remoteness. I love that it's so quiet. Um, I was, I mean, I didn't hike it for years because I was like 1,200 miles in grizzly territory. That sounds awful. Um, But, you know, like I, I don't even, did I even see a grizzly on that trail? I don't think I did. Hmm.
0: Um, What trail has yielded the most grizzly sightings?
2: Probably the Great Divide Trail, which Great. Canadian Rockies, you would pretty much expect that. Sure, sure. Any close encounters? I actually had a close encounter on the CDT. Hotel. yeah. Hotel. Yeah haven't seen – okay, so I was terrified of grizzlies. Um, and I get – I southbounded, and before you start the CDT southbounding, you have to watch a 20-minute video that Glacier has about how grizzly bears are going to eat you. I would opt out <laughs> of uh, that. So, you know, like, I start the trail, and it's, like, every minute I'm like, hey, bear, hey, bear. Uh, and, you know, like, people who've been in the park who are, like, exiting the park see me, and they're like, what are you – why are
1: you making <laughs> – Do you think the video is to fuck with you? Like, do you think the park people are like, "This will be funny. We got one. Let's play the video." I think
2: it's a CYA because they're like, "Oh, if they watch the video, then we're not liable." I don't know.
1: Yeah. Okay, so now you're hiking. I'm hiking. I'm afraid.
2: Okay, so like day two, I go get dinner with um, a friend of mine's dad. Has been the bear ranger in Glacier for like decades, and and he he's like, "Hey, what you need to know? I've, t- I've hiked with my little kids since they were like this tall in Glacier for years and years. It's fine." You just have to, they hate being surprised. I'm just like, anytime you go around a corner, make sure you make noise. I'm like, okay, this this, this is doable. So I haven't really worried about bears for a really long time. Hiking this dirt road on the Idaho-Montana border, you know, like 800 miles in or something. Um, we had just like, it's a road, so we just like yogied some candy off of a car, We're super stoked, laughing. And I'm like, in the distance, I'm like, hey, there's something up there. What is that? Oh, the uh it's got a hump on. Oh shit, it's got a hump on its back. And then you know, like we're all like, okay, it's a distance, we're fine. Um, just keep moving. And it like sees us and starts charging as fast as it possibly can. Mm. And it's like you know, like all the sort of like, what are we supposed to do? That video is like going through my mind and like. You know, like not all of us are carrying bear spray and we're like, uh, where oh, where is it? Oh, well, uh, you know, we get it out and like 20 feet away, it's like stops. And we're like, okay, bluff charge. This is fine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's God's country. So we're on this dirt road. Both sides have barbed wire fences. We're like, all right, let's hop the barbed wire fence, go all the way around the road and reconnect back up. And when we do that, we get back to the fence and we get this horrible whiff, and we're like, what is that smell?
0: Oh, oh, no. Dead animal? Yeah. Yeah,
2: yep. it's exactly what it was. It was like a dead elk. It was all bloated. Like, it had its head cut off. Um, Like, probably from a poacher. It was really disgusting. And the bear was there, like, chowing down. And this time, the bear saw us and, like, ran off into the woods. But we're like, okay, that's probably why it was aggressive. It was protecting its delicious, rotting carcass. But, I mean, like, it was, like, a bear, I mean... Grizzly bears are mostly vegetarians, people don't realize. And so for them to get this like free scavenged protein is a big deal. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons we think it was so aggressive.
1: Yeah, you're not a bear expert, so let me know if this is outside your (laughs) realm of expertise. But when you hear about like the bears pulling people out of their tents, like just like scary grizzly stories, if they're mostly vegetarian, like are they doing this for funsies? Is this just like a bear bear having a fun day if not like – because of the food oler, or like, does that make any sense? Like, why are why do bears care about us if they don't want? I, I,
3: don't
2: know. I don't know if you have yeah, an answer that yeah. either. I think a lot of it is because they're sort of, hab- they get habituated to people or they start associating people or even tents with food. So like, I don't know if you've read the book Night of the Grizzly.
1: No, I I try to stay away from things <laughs> that will scare me from doing future things. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so this is about a night in like the late '70s. There used to be a campground in Glacier, where the the lodge would like feed the bears the scraps from the back of like from the restaurant Never every a night. Good idea. And it was like an attraction, but there was also a campground there for hikers that were too poor to stay at the lodge, right? Uh, and in one night, there were like three people from the campground, of course, who were like killed and mauled, oh. some, something like that. Um.
1: Did the people that left out the food get charged for that?
2: It was an attraction. It was like, a th- yeah, it wasn't just like they were leaving out food. It was like every night on purpose. This was like. Oh. And um, so that was one of the things that, that totally changed Glacier's bear policy. So they started being like, you know, a fed bear's a dead bear. Um, so one of the like I, I've worked, you know, outside of Yosemite, I've spent a lot of time working in the Sierra area. And it's like they never they say don't store food in your car. Because oh. the bears in Yosemite are so smart, they teach their cubs like, "Here's how you break into a Subaru."
1: Yeah, I've had my uh, <laughs> I've had my black back glass of a... I, I, I lived out of a pickup truck for a while, road tripping, and one night in Mammoth, I stayed with a friend yep. who lived there, um, and I thought I got robbed because my whole like camper shell back of the truck like glass was just punched through, and I'm like, "Great, they took my camera, they took my laptop, da." da, da. The only thing stickers. missing was a cooler. And it was the cooler with the spare keys. And I'm like, what do these people want from me? And the guy that, like, maintained the grounds was like, oh, is that your cooler? The bear shred it. And I was like, oh, fuck. Um, I almost slept in the car that night. But, yeah, they will will go straight through a car.
2: Yeah. I've also had a car broken into in, in that same sort of mammoth area.
1: When, okay, so this is something that I think actually might be more in line with your realm of expertise, but... When you said that Glacier used to do this bear attraction type of stuff, and then they were like, oh, this actually might not be very smart. Um, Fed bear is a dead bear. Are there other instances like that that you've come into contact with, either via hiking or with your background in the conservation stuff, where it's the transition of places doing things maybe not the most responsibly to more responsibly?
2: In terms of bears or Just
1: anything wildlife related or I mean, like that seems like a transition that people went through where like there was a time of no fucks given and then there was a transition to slightly more fucks should be given.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would say it's happening right now on something like the Tahoe Rim Trail where like they're going from no bear cans required in desolation to bear cans are required in desolation. Um, The last I went through there in. 2021 i want to say and like you know like i was enjoying my coffee by by aloha lake and on uh on the pct and and some poor poor weekender was like have you seen a blue backpack i hook it up with all my food and i'm like oh this is this is this is not gonna end well yeah
0: Desolation recently added the bear can. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- and that felt like a long time coming. That, that happened right after I hiked the TRT. And I know that had been speculation for years. Yep. So no one took it seriously. And then they actually dropped the hammer on that. Um, in terms of bear food safety, do you hike with a bear canister in areas where it's not required? Like what is your typical bear storage policy? Yeah, uh, I,
2: there are, there are, I pretty much will only hike with a bear canister where it is not required by law. Um, like if I'm out for an overnighter.
0: Hmm. Typical through hikers. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's true for most through hikers. But do you think, I don't know how closely you track the AT. Do you foresee the AT becoming bear canister start to finish or at least big sections of the trail? Because it seems like they're inching in that direction.
2: Yeah, I mean, that is the ATC's dream. I think, you know, I think with the AT, and this is sort of a controversial, I think if you want the highest compliance, you need to give up sort of this idea of what you want like like this backcountry po- experience to be like and put in the infrastructure. Because mm. people hate carrying bear cans, yeah. through hikers especially. Yeah, And if the infrastructure is there, they will use it. So if you go through Glacier, they have the infrastructure set up.
0: The lockers. Um,
2: the lockers. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If it's easy and doesn't involve extra weight, doesn't involve people spending extra money to go out and buy a bear can, people will do Like, this is not rocket science here. If it's easy, people will do it. Yeah. If it's hard and requires you to go out and buy something that you have to carry and have to figure out how to fit in your pack, people aren't going to do it. Yeah. And yes, it's expensive to put that infrastructure in there. But once it's in there, it's in there. And I mean, the AT, like, I'm looking at this beautiful Privy poster, Um, Putting privies in on the AT was very controversial in like the early 90s.
0: Yeah. Shout out Sarah Jones. Have you met Sarah Jones, Decker?
2: I I actually haven't.
0: I've I've exchanged
2: some emails with her. But like, yeah, I mean, now they're so beloved on the AT, there's a whole poster for them. But it was very controversial to be like, oh, no, the AT is a true wilderness experience. Like a privy is a building in the wilderness. It's like, well, you know what's not a wilderness experience? Shit all over the place.
0: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Do you have – so what is your – in areas where bear cans aren't required, are you sleeping with your food? Or are you doing the ursac? I, Does it just vary based on yeah, where you are? Yeah, it just
2: varies. Depends on where I am.
0: Yeah. Are you using an ursac in a lot of bear-heavy areas?
2: Yeah. If it's bear-heavy and it's not required, yeah, I'll, I'll use an ursac. Uh, bear can's not required. I'll use an Ursack. Mm-hmm.
0: Suck International Trails. Yeah. I know you've done a lot of international hiking as well. And you're – actually, can you give us just a quick overview on the international trails that you've hiked? And then I'll dive into some of my questions based on that. Yeah,
2: I've done the West Highland Way, um, the gr 20 in Corsica, um, the Snowdonia Way, which was at the time a, a new route in Wales, um, East Highland Way. I've also done um, part of the Tokaido Nature Trail in Japan. And the Great Divide Trail of Canada counts as international. Okay. Very, very,
0: <laughs> very much counts. Of the ones that you've mentioned, because like the West Highland Way, I would say, is probably the most popular of the ones yeah. that you've said. Which one do you think should be rated higher? Which is the most underrated trail, I guess?
2: Most underrated? I mean, yeah, I would say they're, they're all pretty great. Um Yeah. The Great Divide Trail is very beautiful, but it it's very challenging. And the biggest challenge is even before you get there is getting a permit. Per- the Canadians have not come up with a sort of PCT-style golden ticket. Um, and it's just getting worse and worse. And they're going to come to a reckoning, but it's, it's not happening yet. West Highland Way was just fun. Um, one of the things I love about that trail is it's so accessible. So, like, if you don't want to carry your stuff, there's a luggage service that's, like, actually super cheap. <laughs> um, love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, if you want to stay at hotels every night and have someone else cook, for, like, you could make it a, like, super plush, like, expensive luxury hike. But I just love that, like, anyone can, you know, like, like, it's it's open to people even if you don't want to carry a backpack hmm. or even if you want to have a shower every night or or if you want to hike and trash it up and do it on the cheap, you can do that too. Um.
1: Y- I've we've talked about the West Highland Way on a number of episodes. I have not, however, which seems weird given how many conversations we have. I've not heard of the East Highland Way.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised because I hadn't heard about it until like six months ago when my friend was like, "Hey, what about doing the East Highland Way?" So it starts where the West Highland Way ends in Fort Williams and uh, Fort William, and it's actually kind of like more of a route. I would say um, it's kind of like this guy. Uh, like Brett Tucker styles, like I'm going to put together a route and put together a guidebook. Um, Yeah, it was really cool because we didn't see a single other thru-hiker the whole trip.
0: Hmm.
1: How long
2: was it? It was 100 miles.
0: And is the trail pretty well marked or how much navigating, like route finding are you doing?
2: Yeah, it was all on trail or road, dirt road. Um, But there... Were like maybe two trail markers the whole way, mm. so it's like you have to pay attention to the maps mm. to be like, where do I turn? Where is it going? So it goes from Fort William to um, the Car to um, Aviemore in Cairngorms National Park, um, which is like such a cool outdoorsy town.
0: Are you using Gaia? What's your navigation go-to system?
2: Yeah, I used Gaia on pretty much. Um, all of all of those international trips, um, except I didn't use it for the East Highland way because it was such a like kind of I it, it wasn't quite a newish route, but like they didn't quite it, like that sort of GPX infrastructure didn't quite exist for it. So um, in many ways, it was like it was like use, just using the guidebook and hoping it was going to work out.
0: Huh. That's going to be exciting for you, yeah. I like a little bit uh, more rugged adventure, I'm sure, because Guy is all the. Trails are very clearly marked. It's fun to have that little bit of uncertainty involved.
2: Yeah, there, there was more than uncertainty on that round. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> on the subject of Gaia, are, is there any particular gear tech items that you're excited about? Like uh, one thing that we had Skirka, we've had Skirk on a few times. Uh, he's a big fan of the Zolio. Uh-huh. Is there anything in that realm that gets your gears going?
2: Yeah, I mean, we tested. Um, a gear item that hasn't been a it's like it it, it, whether it because it's been in such high demand that it's like they've had some stock issues but the somewhere (gasps) oh have you tested it before (laughs)
0: Uh, i just jumped out of her chair i
2: I get excited because that was the first piece
1: of gear i tested but well through pack they gave me a free one Mm -hmm. which was that was just something free i got but somewhere when i was on the pct in 2017 like nobody to anyone they had messaged me and they were like, hey, we're trying to, like, test this thing out in this section. Hmm. And I felt so special. So I get excited like that because, like, I don't feel that special they anymore. Knows. Now I'm like, you want something back from me? At that point, I had nothing to give. Yeah, sure. I was so I, – yeah, I love hearing them come up.
2: Yeah, we were very impressed. We did a lot of side-by-side tests um, with their competitors. And we're like, oh, these messages go out faster. We get weather reports faster. Um yeah, like we we were pretty impressed. Hmm. Now we're just hoping that they'll like have more availability.
1: So they're like they're doing good enough to the point that it's hard to get one now.
2: I think they have a major contract with someone who can purchase a lot of units at once, and so that's that's made it much harder for Government? recreational. I heard they were users. partnering up
1: with someone. <laughs> Is that like on the DL?
2: Maybe
0: she can tell us, but she has to murder us.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I might not. <laughs> Don't look at me. <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> I think we're getting to the end of my list of questions here. Do you have any?
1: Um. Yeah. I'll go and I'll go with a, another. I'll just I'll have another. Um, we have, have to had... get another
2: cut water if we keep. Checking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll wrap it up. Um, that was not a. That was not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have, have as many water. as you want. It's,
0: it's a sit down brew hike.
2: Um.
1: Yeah. We are brew <laughs> hiking. Um. From nowhere to nowhere. <laughs> so we have talked about trails in japan on unless i am not remembering properly on one other episode um and that just is something that i want to hear more about is that trail because i think that is like in the i in the imagination part of my mind i think that is a cool place to hike based on a lot of nothing but in that one interview i thought it was very interesting to hear about because there's so many cultural differences there's so many just differences to the landscape and i think since we haven't talked about it that much that would be a good trail just to get your overview on before we move past it
2: yeah yeah well so first of all i would say japan is, has is has such an amazing through hiker culture um they're really into ultralight gear um there's like this sort of like i don't know how to describe it other than like a like a hiker trash clubhouse in tokyo where that's like that's where
0: montbell's based out of right um
2: is it japan yeah montbell's based out of japan yeah. too they, yeah, while I'm in Colorado, they, they i got to go do my Mont the... Bell trip. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, the, this clubhouse, like it's called the Innovation Garage. They have like all the ultralight, like reams of ultralight fabric and like sewing machines, and they have like through hiker classes, kind of like like Alda West does. They have like rocks year round to get people ready to go hike the PCT. This is, an, like, the, this is in Tokyo. When you say
1: clubhouse, you don't just mean community. You mean there's an actual
2: like... Physical space that people get together and hang out and make gear together and give each other shakedowns and like show oh. off new gear items they have. That's I cool. just like hang out. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So the name
1: of the trail you did is?
2: It's the Tokaido Nature Trail. I think that's like the English translation of it. Um, And, uh, yeah, it goes from Tokyo to, um, it actually goes all the way to Osaka. I hiked to Mount Fuji. Um, and, um, yeah, I, you know, one of the things, and I'm sure you've had other people talk about international trails and like, is it legal to camp? Well, I don't know. I'm going to do that. Like (laughs) I I couldn't get a straight answer. (laughs) Um, but there, there are like huts along the way that are like, some of them are like very beautiful, like. You're the only person there and it's like all cedar wood and um incredible.
1: Are these like A T like I'm not talking AMC huts, but like A T shelters where they're just free, show up, camp, leave.
2: Yeah. they're they're fully clo- they're they're a, closer to an AMC hut. I mean there's like they're much, much smaller, but they're really nice.
1: But not the price tag of going to an AMC hut. And... There was
2: no one there. Okay. Oh, wow. I mean, maybe there was some place I was supposed to put in but as far as I could tell, yeah. Um do you speak Japanese at all? I do. Um, is, is
0: that something that you would say is a requirement to be a good thru-hiker in Japan? Or is, could you get by with just speaking English and just gesturing?
2: I think it really depends on what trail. So um, I can't remember its name. There's like sort of a sister trail to the Camino in sort of the southern part of Japan that is very well- like, they're very well set up for international travelers who are coming to do sort of a hiking pilgrimage. Um, and I've I've had friends who've done the 88 Temples pilgrimage as well. The set, idiot temples? Oh, 88, 88 Temples. 88. Yeah. Okay. Which is something I'd like to do. It's like 800 miles long.
1: That was what he had done, right?
0: Yeah. That, that's the. I was wondering which of the interviews you're referring to, the guy who got in all the trouble. He wrote a book about – he got like a – ninja fight I'm blanking on his name what yeah that yeah.
1: sounds that sounds right
0: this was uh, this was a very this was a long time ago yeah this was a this was years a, ago a very atypical interview for us but uh, sorry to detract from you because I think that's the trail that he was on
2: yeah that that's a pretty popular trail hmm. um, and that one also it's like if you learn some basic phrases like can I camp here <laughs> um, yeah
1: are you going far stretches between town? Like, are you having to pack out five-day resupplies and stuff?
2: No, no. The towns were, were much closer. And it probably depends on where you go to. But, but the trails I've done have been pretty close with towns. Um, cell service is not great, though, in the mountains, in my experience. Um, I, I got a Japanese cell phone. Um, yeah, I would say there's, like, I've done, like, the, the hiking culture, like, when they – it's weird for, for someone to be hiking solo in Japan, especially a woman like there's much more of a like hiking together as a group sort of culture and there's a you know like Japan has some of the best ultralight stove makers mm. because there's a much bigger culture of like hey let's all stop and I've done this this with like hiking with Japanese hiking groups let's stop by the side of the trail in the mud while it's raining and make ramen <laughs> without an umbrella <laughs> How do you find a Japanese hiking
1: group to hike with if I'm someone that doesn't speak Japanese? Like, Because I think that that would be a fun way to do a hike like that. Because part of what I was asking about with the resupply, like in my mind, I'd be a little apprehensive going into it about a number of things, but also even basic stuff. Like I don't have to think about what I'm going to resupply with on an American trail because I kind of understand what foods I could pack out. I feel like it's such a different culture in Japan that I wouldn't know what to buy at a grocery store. You know, like there's so many things that would for me would just put me back to ground zero where I think if I were to be able to find this clubhouse or if I were to be able to find one of these groups, that might be make or break and me going at all.
2: Yeah, so I would say like definitely reach out to like the Trails Innovation Garage, Trails Magazine over there. Um, There's also um, Hikers Depot um, is run by... Um, a hiker who's done a lot of thru-hikes in the U.S., so understands U.S. thru-hiking culture, but also can, like, be like, hey, this is the trail you should go on in Japan. Like, like they get so excited when thru-hikers from America want to hike their trails. Um, so I would say, like, definitely reach out. As far as the resupply goes, like, Japanese convenience stores have, like, the most amazing hiker-friendly food. Like, Like, office workers love food where you can just add hot water so they have Hmm. so much stuff that you're like this I can take (laughs) this is the perfect backpacking meal I've heard the
0: vending machine culture in Tokyo specifically is like next level right? future basically yeah
2: I was gonna
1: say that about calling back to Thailand I never get to talk about Thailand this is twice (laughs) in one episode I know it's not Japan but that was one thing that shocked me in Thailand was 7-Elevens were the fucking shit like 7-Elevens you can't like explain to someone that's gone to America 7-Elevens the necessity of a Seven Eleven, like it like they have everything you do everything there the the options are superb it was just like i came home and i missed them you know but that's something yeah okay that makes sense where like you add the water yeah i get that now i'm thinking through it as we're talking i'll stop
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think my final question you being a gearhead What gear category do you think stands the most room for improvement? Because uh, we started through hiking around the same time. You got a few years head start on me. There's been such an explosion in the innovation in all categories, especially starting in like the 2012 to 2014 range. Everything got so good so quickly. What areas do you see taking that sort of a leap in the next five to 10 years?
2: Yeah, I mean, electronics are going to. They have to. I mean, my iPhone 14, for example, has that SOS function. Yeah. And so what we're going to have to see is more of the other brands stepping up with two-way texting, reducing their prices, doing it faster, doing it more reliability.
0: Do you um, think we'll get rid of the Garmin reaches and all that will just be happening through the iPhone?
2: I think unless... Garmin and the various competitors can come up with some really compelling features. Yeah, you know, I think our iPhone's probably going to yeah. do it.
0: I'm waiting for the Starlink phone because <laughs> that just seems like a matter of time, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
2: I think technology is where we're going to see it. Yeah. My
1: last question. Um, This one's going to be another thinker. Sorry. Um, but you have a lot, a lot of experience in both the gear reviews and in the hiking in- itself. No specific direction here, which is what's going to make it kind of tough. But if... Have you listened to an episode before? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know Triple Crown of
2: top three? Uh-huh. Give She's us...
0: Triple Crown or two, so she understands it from that context. <laughs> no,
2: I know, no, but they don't know. <laughs> you, you can explain it for people who I'm are just... like listening to the yes, episode. Yes, thank yeah. you. That's
1: what I was doing, Zach. Um, so <laughs> you are something today. Um, what would be, to close out this, your Triple Crown of hot takes, no direction there other than just hot
0: takes? I like that question.
1: Thank you. You're
0: we're not. Friends. You're not back. Trust we're <laughs> friends. We ain't like each other.
1: <laughs> do we? Hot takes on gear. I, well, that's what I said. It's it's up to you. Just in general, hot takes.
2: Um, okay. So like, like, go go do something wild that you can. That came to you while you're hanging out with your friends drinking, and it actually works out and is like amazing. getting a grant. Yeah, like getting a grant. Okay. Um leave your office job or like you can come back to your office job and still go hike. And uh, yeah, I would say like lots of cool innovations with gear. And also like, I I would say, and I haven't explicitly said it, like gear is a tool to get you to go do the fun thing that you want to do. So as fun as it is to talk about gear, like ultimately, like having a great time on trail is more important than what you carry. Love that.
0: Sage advice. Uh, Liz, please let people, we've talked about Treeline Review, let people know where they can, social media, website, all your projects, rolling out the red carpet, where should people go to? Yeah, for sure.
2: So treelinereview.com, um, that is no S, one review, (laughs) um, treelinereview.com. We're also at Treeline Review at Instagram, uh, on Pinterest, on Facebook, um, and then, uh, also on YouTube. Um, and then my personal is at Liz Thomas hiking on Instagram and on Facebook as well. And my website is eathomas.com, which looks like eat hummus. <laughs> <laughs> my initials.
0: And I do. Liz, thank you so much for joining us here in Backpack Radio. It was awesome to have you.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast.
0: To the Trek propaganda portion of today's show. Before we get there, people are wondering, is Trance mad at Zach?
1: No. Trance is, <laughs> ne- I need my headset. Trance is never mad at Zach. Um, <laughs> I, just, I think it's fun when we do this. Yeah, I agree. Like it but it'd be it would be more fun
0: if you would have said, yes, you were mad at me, and then we could just. Yeah, but then I have to think that. of a reason. You could think of it. Oh, they, come on.
1: Yeah, but like when there's. Listen.
0: Wait, let me backtrack because you posted something in the group thread recently which said that like you got the closest to being fired that you've yes, ever been.
1: <laughs> because I put the foot skin on your laptop.
0: Yeah, but Mara Mara responded by saying, what did you disagree with Zach? <laughs> and I almost fired Mara for saying that.
1: Um, well, if if I got fired every time I disagreed with you, there would never be an episode no, of the podcast I, the, on air.
0: People love when you disagree with me.
1: Yeah, I love when I disagree with you. It's half I, the fun.
0: I, I don't know if I share the same affinity, but it makes for a good podcast. But stuff.
1: that's, I would I will say that's what makes being mad at you, like for realsies, harder because there's just so Much that we shit on each other for that, like, you'd have to pass the realm of fucking with the other person to get to the realm of actual mad. Certainly. Maybe we're on different realms and, like, you get there easier, but for me, it's like you'd actually have to probably fuck up.
0: I think being married with kids has made me very good at being in the position of being in the doghouse. So, like, I'm just used to being the punching bag or being mad at or. I, I, but I know how to dig myself out it's fun to get out yeah it's the getting out is where the joy is I, not... I can
1: put you in there more if you want to get out more <laughs> I mean,
0: Palooza is right around the corner okay. I'm technically in the past for the listener but uh, we'll cross that bridge uh, the Trek Propaganda the article I'd like to feature is the ultimate guide to lightning safety for through hiking tips and resources uh n- Owen, our stand in managing editor, and I were shocked at this being a subject that we haven't covered in depth on the website already. So, shout out to Ariel Nardizi, who took on this subject and did an excellent job with it. Um, This is something I think we've talked about on the podcast a fair bit, not in any like educational sense. So, I definitely want you guys to go read the article and get the lowdown so I don't butcher it. But I want to highlight one myth featured in this, which is actually not in our show notes. I'm reading directly from the article. Myth. Seeking shelter in an open structure will keep you safe. Keep in mind that's the myth. You should avoid any open-sided structures, including shelters, hello Appalachian Trail through hikers, or picnic area coverings. According to the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, there have been multiple reports of people struck by lightning at the Vanderbelter shelter in Tennessee. The only shelter fully safe from a lightning strike is a Faraday cage, which is a type of enclosed structure, also known as a Faraday suit, which is a fully enclosed building or metal roof car with tires. So that's just a little thing to munch on before you guys go read the actual article, its entirety, which will be included in the show notes.
1: Um, book rack, if anyone's a reader or a reader listen, like a listener to books, um, there's a book called Shattered Air uh, by Bob Magic.
3: Amazing. What a M- name! M A. <laughs> it's like
1: M A D. What a name! That's a porn name. M A D J I C or something. Okay. Like it's not actually spelled magic. Um, I don't remember how to spell the last name, but it's called Shattered Air, and he talks about like he walks through this incident that happened on Half Dome in the early '90s, where like this group went up, and they used to camp on the summit. It just used to be a thing where people used to camp on the summit. And they had done it so many times, they just felt like, you know, this is our mountain. Mm-hmm. And they there was a cave on the top of Half Dome that they knew really mm-hmm. well. And so the storm was rolling in this one day, and they were just like, we're going to make it to the cave, and then we'll be good when the storm hits. And it just un- like the whole book, it's a little bit of a slow burn at first because he spends a couple of chapters explaining like Yosemite and he spends a chapter explaining lightning and like how clouds form. Like the- everything you can want to know about lightning ends up being like a v- it's a very intense story. Like what happens on the mountain that night is it- it's it's very sad. Um and then it goes through the whole rescue efforts afterwards. It's very on the edge of your seat story once you get into the thick of it. Um, but it's also free on Audible if they're still doing it for free. Mm. Um, if you're someone who is, like, curious about lightning, wants to learn more about it, wants to install some fear about it, Shattered Air is, like, a top book that I've read.
0: Uh. They're not sponsors of the podcast in any form, but I recently learned that Spotify's premium membership, which I feel like most people I know have, uh, they're doing 15 free hours of audiobooks per month.
1: Wow. So if you pay
0: for Spotify, you get 15 hours of audiobooks, which is more than I would consume.
1: I that would be a cool thing cuz on Audible you buy credits. Like I I'm on a subscription where I get yeah. a credit a month, but it would be cool if it took like an Apple Music turn where you pay a monthly fee and then you can just listen to your heart's content.
0: I learned this the hard way that uh if you end your membership and you don't use the credits, you don't get to still use them. Yeah. I guess that makes sense, but I was pissed off because we had like seven credits that we didn't use, and which we paid for, and then we didn't get the books out of them. Just another – this goes back to why I hate membership stuff. Yeah. This is just a trap.
1: Yeah, I'm much more of a physical book person, which makes moving hard. But Shattered Air, that's a really good one on lightning. It's got a very, very um, moving, uh, uh, scary story uh, involved with Half Dome and Yosemite, and that's off the JMT, so it's hiker-related. But – it it it's an interesting take on things in the 90s when it was like pre-fear and like pre-a lot of restrictions, like no half-down permits, all that stuff. Um, just a good book mm. if you're interested in that stuff.
0: Um, And on the theme of only featuring one article per, per episode, we'll move on to the next segment, which is the question of the day apropos. Mm-hmm. What Christmas gift were you mo- most excited to hopefully receive or most excited to hopefully gift someone else this year?
1: Yes. Um This one's not gonna be the funnest.
0: I mean <laughs> This I, is like the layup fun subject.
1: Well I'm I'm in asterisks here, because I don't mean this in its full capacity, but I'm kind of in you towards Christmas mode. Not Uh-oh. in that I'm in any the way Grinchy or not love. No, not in that way at all. But I don't have kids, so it's, Mm -hmm. like, gifting gifts to people that are my age. It's just less exciting. You know, like, my parents are getting books. Um, Like, that's not, like, super exciting. Mm -hmm. But Garrett, I got him one that he gets to open on December 1st um, because it is a – Lego Star Wars advent calendar. So every day of December, he gets to open a new door flap. And they they do these for every year, I've learned. So 2023 has its specific ones. So they don't overlap figurines.
0: How many Lego pieces are in a day?
1: it's just, it's literally just like a little character. It's like oh. a little Lego person. So you're
0: not building but, a structures, just no, like a new No, okay. it's just
1: like a little person. I okay. think you could like like 5 pieces you'd put together if anything. Okay. okay. Um, but for his birthday this year back in May, I got him a Lego Star Wars set cuz he was getting more vocal about Star Wars. I think that was just comfort in the relationship. <laughs> um And, like, you know the personality that likes Legos. You know, he didn't know he liked Legos at that point. Mm-hmm. But I knew him, and I knew this guy will love Legos. But he
0: grew up with Legos, right? Everyone grew Maybe. up with Legos. Maybe.
1: He just, like he, like, he got the present, and he wasn't even sure if he liked it for okay. his birthday present. Like, okay. he was like, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. And then he built the Lego set. And my... My, how we have gone down a rabbit hole. You know
0: him better than he knows himself.
1: His bookshelf is no longer full of books. Those have migrated to our bookshelf. It is now a Lego display case Uh for all of his Star Wars Lego sets. He won't touch He won't touch Legos that are less than a 1,000 pieces. Like, this guy is into Legos.
3: You've created Um, a master.
1: Yeah, he just finished the Hogwarts Castle. It was two books and, like, 21 bags. He he goes by how many bags there are. Okay. Like, when you get a box of Legos, they separate the pieces by bag, and it correlates with sections of the book with the instructions. Yeah um so now it's just like how many bags are there uh, is, so it's a thing
0: is he very territorial like if somebody comes up to his yeah structure? he fucked
1: up his like hogwarts house the other day and like punched through a section of it and i'm like well i have a brain that's very good with puzzles you know like that's, a, it's a special brain but in puzzles we thrive and sure. so i'm like let me see i can fix and the, like it, it, he did not want me near it. Mm-hmm. He did not want me near it despite the fact I could have probably fixed it really fast. Um he was over my shoulder the whole time I was near it. Like no one can touch this stuff. Yeah. So I've created a monster cuz this is all f- this is me. I did this. I bought the first Lego set. But um I think him having to wait a day to open the next box every day. Mind you this is before December 1st we're recording. I know it comes out on Christmas.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I think I will hear about this Lego advent calendar for the full month of December because I think that he's going to be wondering what the next box has, doinking around with the little, like, whatever came out of the first hole. I don't know. Like, I just think yeah. that this is going to be a hit because it it's the mystery of what's next. Yeah. It's the gift that doesn't end because right. there's something new every day. Um, and it feeds into, like, a monster I've created.
0: Speaking of which, now you have to get him a version of that every year
1: literally like i posted a story the other day it it had snowed in denver a lot and he like made a joke like will you get me a lego set or something he says it didn't happen that way my memory's not great and i made a joke back about like i looked outside and i was like sure clean off my car you know and we'll Mm -hmm. go get it and i've never seen him run outside of the house fast my car (laughs) was pristinely cleaned off we ended up splitting uh target had the not the big Millennium Falcon for anyone that actually knows about this stuff. The big one's like eight hundred bucks. Mm, They've got a small Millennium Falcon that's like a hundred bucks. We went halfsies on it. It was on sale already. I was like, I'll go halfsies with you on this. Um, and like, it was the happiest I think I've ever seen the guy. Mm. Um, but now it's just like he wants. I think he asked his parents for this. He wants the R two D two. It's like a two hundred dollar Lego set. It's like life sized. I mean, we don't have room in our house for this stuff, yeah. but.
0: You're gonna have an entire room dedicated to Legos.
1: Which he has his office and he keeps okay. them all in there. Yeah. Um. And I don't mind that. Like, he could be doing worse things than staying home, you Certainly. know, could on weekend math. nights yeah. building Legos. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I really did this year create a monster with yeah. this. And I'm gonna play the slow game for the month of December by only letting him open an advent calendar box a day.
0: Got to keep it inside the lines for sure. Jenna and I are not doing gifts for each other, so I'm not expecting gifts, and I'm not getting her anything. Childcare and uh, just life is very expensive. Health care is very expensive, so we're saving money by not getting gifts for each other. You're looking at me like I'm.
1: You're smarter than this.
0: No, we've 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 progressively scaled down the gifts, and she stayed within the boundaries. Uh, if anything, I'm the one who cheats and ends up going outside of that, but, um,
1: you should still cheat and go outside of that.
0: Yeah. We'll see. As, as of, as of today, uh, December, November 22nd, I haven't broken, but we'll see. She
1: pushed out two babies for you this year. Yeah. Get her a shiny piece of jewelry.
0: I gave her those kids.
1: Did you give her a push present? push present that's the gift it's a it's a usually it's an expensive piece of jewelry you give someone for pushing out a child oh, for you i've never
0: heard of that oh you don't watch no <laughs> <Housewives>. <laughs> so I have to get her. it's two? a push
1: present yeah i mean fuck she tore. <laughs> she probably tore her vagina for you you know like the least you could do
0: she tore her vagina for us uh, anyways uh, <laughs> get her
1: something shiny <laughs>
0: The gift that I'm excited to give, and this took some convincing from her to me because uh, I tend to be frugal with things and life is very expensive right now. But this is something I wanted as a kid is uh, one of our neighbors has this for their children and Leo lights up every time he, he sees it. It's like one of the small big wheels things. Like a, I think it's a Jeep. I don't know.
1: Oh, the the ones that they can drive?
0: Like a motorized. Yeah, thing. that it was go- It goes like. Maybe five miles. I per want hour. one of those. Yeah, but uh, Leo, I hope you're not listening to this daddy's podcast. He doesn't listen to the podcast. But that's the gift. We ha- I don't think we've gotten it yet. But there's been talks about that happening.
1: Oh, that's right. Rock- one kid in my neighborhood, Tim, had one when we were growing up, and like it was all the rage to be able to ride shoddy in that thing.
0: Yeah, there's like a six year old girl across the street who has one, and like. Le- uh, sh- she will let Leo sit shotgun on it sometimes, and he'll, like, freak out because he wants to drive it. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes a time that we actually have to, like, drag him inside, he just bawls every yeah. single time.
1: same. I, I can't tell you. My parents are listening. My dad always listens. I wanted one so bad. Yeah. They never. It is the they coolest They never even gift. humored it. It was it, just like, you know the things that they just say no to, and you know you have no wiggle room there? Yeah. It was one of those no's. Yeah.
0: I know. I wanted one, too. Never got it, but um, it sounds like. Leo's going to get one.
1: Wow, good Christmas for Leo. Yeah, he's
0: he definitely won Christmas. You can sure.
1: literally like hold a beer and he can drive you around the block and come back.
0: <laughs> yeah. And this is the first year where he's actually like aware of what Santa is. Like I ask him all the time. I'm like, "Buddy, who brings the pres- presents on Christmas?" He's like, "Santa brings the presents." Aww. And he's like, "Do they come for good boys or bad boys?" He's like, "Bad boys." I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I've trained him that he's bad in like a loving way, but he, <laughs> He's a toddler. He's naughty all the time. He's always spilling stuff. He's always doing the exact opposite of what you want him to do. But, yeah, he's too adorable. So he yeah, he
1: whatever. is getting cuter. Yeah. I will say, yeah. like, your story he is getting – he's he's left that, like, pre-one-year-old baby phase where they kind of look like aliens, and yeah. he's entered, like, cute.
0: He's he's hardcore cute, and uh, I, I was warned that three was infinitely harder than two. They call them 3 majors mm. because they just become – much more defiant, and he's—we're learning that he's entering hardcore into that phase. So, uh, yeah.
1: I can't wait. I hope we're still. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we won't be. Maybe we will be. Hard to tell. <laughs> if we are still still thriving and on air when and we, you've like, got kids. No, oh. I'm thinking like when Leo gets like old older ish. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see the put the shit he puts you through.
0: Oh well, at that point we'll have two, three teenagers, and that'll be—I'll—I'll I'll just be fully gray at that point. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, Cool. Well, Let's go to the next Christmas-themed segment, which is the Triple Crown of Holiday Traditions.
1: Yeah. Do you have any good ones for this? Uh,
0: I do have a couple of ones that I I suspect are unique to my household. The first one being, uh, this is a general tradition, which I've joined on with. I fully subscribe to this, but on... You either starting Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, she goes through and watches all of the Office Christmas-themed episodes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So I think seven, eight episodes maybe, something like that. But she's obsessed with The Office, like watches it on repeat anytime that she just doesn't know what to watch. And yeah, on Christmas, she goes through and watches all the Christmas episodes.
1: Love that. Yeah. Um, okay. This one isn't like a current one, but this is like a childhood nostalgia. So I've mentioned the farmhouse, like my parents have a farmhouse in upstate New York. And in in this point of my mindset, like where I'm telling this story from, they still live right outside New York City. Not the case anymore. They retired, they moved upstate, whatever. Um, But in this point of my mindset, it's the age where they lived downstate. Um, So at the farmhouse, it's like right outside Ithaca, it's on a bunch of acres of woods, and there's a big field across from the house. And there's a, when we were really young, there's a big tree that's like right across the street from the mailbox on the edge of this field. That's just this freaking massive pine tree. And we used to call it the mommy tree. Mm-hmm. It was like the biggest one in the forest, right? So like we whenever we'd get up there driving as kids, it would be like, oh, like we see the mommy tree, we're here, you know? Um, but also called the mommy tree because it let off all these pine like seeds. I don't know, however they make more trees. Mm-hmm and they would scatter the field and then little pine trees would grow. And so my dad would always go and cut down some of these pine trees when they'd get to like, like respectable heights. And he would bring them down and our driveway at my home house, like the one pre-retirement, um, the driveway had a line of trees, like pine trees. Mm. Uh, and they were all replanted from the mommy
0: tree. So we'd add a new tree.
1: And so every Christmas, we would pick one of those trees and we'd cut it down and that would be the Christmas tree. He'd drag it inside, you know, et cetera. And then we'd go back upstate and we would pick a different tree from the mommy tree to bring down to replant in its spot. Mm. So every Christmas, we had a live tree. I've never been to a place to buy a tree, like how you can go get a tree. Yeah. Um. Since moving here, like, I'll do a plastic one because I don't have, like, a permanent settled home. I'm just renting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But like nothing everyone who has had a real tree knows nothing beats a real tree with the smell right but it was also very cool because you knew it came from the mommy tree and you knew it was from up there um and that was just like something no one else at school had that story
0: yeah that's cool That there's a lineage to your christmas trees yes that's very nice but it's all
1: now it's done we don't live there anymore tradition's over but you still have go home
0: you still have
3: the memory yeah the
1: memory lives on
3: yeah yeah
1: yeah um not really a traditional bunch. Uh, <laughs> a, a Christmas story, that movie. I've mentioned this before when we talked about the mm-hmm. Triple Crown of Christmas movies. We watch it every Christmas Eve. Um,
0: Aside, do you, growing up, would you do Christmas, Christmas Eve or Christmas morning?
1: Christmas morning. Same. Um, I feel like I,
0: a lot of people I know do it Christmas Eve, and that always felt so alien to me.
1: I've heard people do a present on Christmas Eve. I think Garrett's family, I'm going to them for Christmas, like the actual day. My, They've got a, this is a different Christmas for us. This is going to be a, a back and forth out to left field, triple crown. But they've got a different Christmas than my family does in terms of Garrett's brother has a son that's a year old so for them it's more important i think this is like this isn't coming from them it's coming from me but i think it's when we were deciding who goes where for christmas Mm -hmm. i think it's more important that they do christmas on the day of because they've got this child who's like learning about it Mm -hmm. whereas like my parents like you know it doesn't fucking matter if we're doing christmas on the weekend before like let's just pretend it's the day of no one's crying you know right um but, what I'm gathering from the prep for this Christmas at his place is that they do matching pajamas that you open the night before and mm-hmm. you wear the matching pajamas to bed. Mm. um, so that seems kind of cool. I've never done that, yeah, but no, we do Christmas on Christmas morning, and the rule has always been, um you have to wait for everyone to be up for the presents, duh, but stockings are fair game, so like that was the way to keep us occupied. So whenever you got
0: up, you could just go dig into the stockings. Once you
1: get up, you can go tear apart your stocking, and then that has to occupy you. You have to wait for presents until everyone is awake and ready and they've got their coffee and, you know, like the anticipation has built. Then you can do presents. Sure, But stockings, fair game, no restrictions. Wake up, do that. Just don't wake us up yet.
0: There's something especially romantic about stocking gifts. I don't know what it is, uh, but last year we – I think a lot of people – hang their stockings over like a fireplace yeah and uh jenna put the presents in there like a couple days before christmas just to, like liven up the christmas atmosphere and we both learned that we stuffed each other's stockings with chocolate gifts <laughs> oh so when we opened the gifts they were just a bunch of fucking melted chocolate
1: so our stockings were a bit different um and i think this is like an italian tradition i think it's
0: a bunch of fettuccine
1: well it also could be like a poor person tradition because like neither of my parents grew up with money like both of them came from like not wealthy homes Mm -hmm. um but and i i always grew up thinking it was an italian tradition but they would fill the stockings with oranges Hmm. and then at the top they'd put some chocolates and stuff but like 90 percent of your stocking is oranges and that's what i always knew growing up and yeah part of why i think like maybe this isn't purely italian is cuz some people have been confused at that that i thought would surely <laughs> get that and then i like thinking it through i'm like well if they didn't have a lot of money growing up like that's a good way to fill space in yeah. you know, a stocking
0: Interesting to learn how other families do stuff. I've never had an orange in a stocking before.
1: We haven't had oranges in recent years, but I remember very much growing up. Like, you knew you would get a third down the stocking, and you knew from there it's just oranges. It's
0: a good way to fill the stocking.
1: Yeah. But I did learn as we got older—I don't know how many traditions I'm covering here— that my mom was in charge of the presents and my dad was in charge of the stockings. He's
0: in charge of the oranges.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, now it's like like <laughs> now he'll do like the credit card points. You can get gift cards with them. Yeah. So we'll get like a list of like where do you want your gift cards, and yeah. then we'll get one or two gift cards because he- he's on stocking duty. But yeah, growing up, it was mainly like a stupid toy, like a yo-yo or something, oranges, yeah. and then like a couple of Reese's cups.
0: That's funny. I think I would get like CDs just things that fit into his stocking but yeah never oranges that's, that's yeah, interesting. yeah like five or six yeah huh yeah let's see which is my next one this is we're doing holiday traditions not christmas traditions and what? my birthday that's what the that's what we got on the show notes here right oh
1: you cheater you can't do your your birthday
0: yeah, I didn't, my birthday is uh, December 27th, That's right amazing. in the heart of holiday season. Okay. So I've suffered in so many ways. I get to lump my birthday into this triple crown. Um, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but my tradition, this is probably 15 years strong or so, is I love donuts so much that I restrict the number of days per year that I can eat them, and I just go fucking off the walls on my birthday, we'll get a dozen donuts. We might have to get more now because Leo also loves donuts. But if we got a dozen donuts, I'm eating nine of them.
1: How many donuts do you think you could eat before you have to stop?
0: I've tested that limit several times. Uh, I'm usually... Six is where, like, I start to feel full and hate myself. But, like, I'm so... I, I feel like I've held out on donuts for so long throughout the year that I just need to pound more into my body. It's not all, I I don't always eat them in one sitting. Typically it's like four or five in one go and then I'll snack on them throughout the day. Um, But the guilt of the donut consumption is so strong that I'll just go out and have like the hardest workout on my birthday because I've eaten probably 2000 calories worth of donuts.
1: When is your next donut day after your birthday? Or is it just your birthday? Uh,
0: Sometimes I'll do donuts on my half birthday is like a mini celebration. Right. But um donuts cross my mind often and I almost never act on them. If I'm feeling like especially in a bad mood, sometimes I'll break down and I'll get a dozen donuts. But I'd say at most, aside from my birthday, at most twice, two two to three times per year.
1: Um, two things this makes me think of. One, this is an obvious Patreon episode. Just where me consuming donuts? Yeah, we see how many donuts you can eat. Sure. Um, I don't like an audience. I, I'm... Well, It's just me and the camera. <laughs> just, yeah. And it's everybody. me and the camera.
0: Okay, fine. Um,
1: so yeah, donut Patreon, I think, is an idea. And then also back when YouTube was like brand new, there was a YouTuber I used to watch who did some sort of donut like running challenge where she had to run like a mile or three miles or something. And every interval of whatever she had to eat a donut. Um, And that also sounds like a good Patreon episode.
0: I will say that when I eat a shitload of donuts and then I go to the gym, I don't know how much of this is just like, I'm loaded up with carbs and how much of it is the guilt of what I've done to myself, but I have maybe the best workout of the year post donuts.
1: You're not just like barfing everywhere?
0: No. I, I do pretty well with uh, – this is even true backpacking. Like I can eat a super gluttonous meal and then have like a very productive hiking day. And it doesn't even matter like how good of through hiking shape I'm in is I feel like I tolerate – like I, I know a lot of people that can't eat a big meal and then go work out. I'm not that way. I can eat a huge meal. As long as it's not like immediately after the meal, If I, if I even if I get like a half hour, I can go function totally fine.
1: Um, If you're a Patreon supporter and you are with us on Patreon, send us a message and let us know if you want Zach to do Donut Day as an episode because I think that me just telling him isn't going to be enough convincing. But if you guys would also think this is funny to watch, let us know.
0: I stand by the fact that eating one donut, I think, is the hardest thing that a person could do. Oh, no. I I either need to have a minimum of three or it would be way easier to have zero.
1: For me, the problem is I want different tastes. Like I want the Boston cream. I want the strawberry frosted with sprinkles. I want the voodoo grape, which is such a weird taste. If you've ever had the grape voodoo donuts. Yeah, that's not my donut. But with all those, I only want like a bite. So no. I want like I want a um a flight of donuts where instead of me getting one of each one, I just want like an eighth of a donut in like eight flavors.
0: I stand by the fact that I think you can measure an addiction by like how unconscious you are when you do a thing and like I will cut a donut in half with the idea of like I'm gonna eat a half a donut and without even thinking I'm reaching for the other half of the donut it's not like I'm gonna be bad and I'm gonna eat the rest of this donut it's like I'm not I'm not even present, I might as well be blacked out. I'm reaching for the donut before I even have a thing. And I have friends who I see are maybe that way with alcohol. And as much as I love alcohol, I'm never like cracking the next beer without even thinking about it. Like for me, it's always like a decision, like what do I have the next day? How do I feel now? Blah, 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 blah. Donuts are a totally different thing. Like I I go into shark eyes and I'm just like devouring the sweets.
1: That's something. For me, like when you were talking about this, I think of the scene after the end of Dodgeball where he's like super fat and saying, <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> "That's what I think of I'm you being like with your yeah, yeah with your donuts." Yeah,
0: that is hundred percent. Yeah, I, your I inner
1: monologue is Fat Ben Stiller. I,
0: I exercise to fight those demons big time. Yeah, love that. My last one is um, I will say this isn't this is a tradition in our family. I don't necessarily love this because, on the contrary to what I just gave, where like I do this thing unconsciously. Uh, this is something that Jenna does as a tradition, and I do it because I, I like the idea of traditions. But uh, for uh, Christmas Eve, she does um, uh, pettuccine alfredo. So we do that every huh. every Christmas Eve. Uh, I make it. And that's, that's a thing that's very easy for me. I can eat like a small amount of it and be like, I feel like shit. This isn't scratching the itch, but it is a tradition, and we do it, and it's a tradition.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, I, is another one, I don't really have many at the moment. Um, It's kind of like a limbo. But you guys are
0: in the early stages of your togetherhood. You can start to form these things.
1: Yeah, no, I just mean like it, like they kind of they fuck things up when they've decided to retire and move. Cause oh, like I was they, referring to your significant yeah, other. Your yeah, parents. I mean, that's like a different realm, sure. but in terms of the stuff that we usually do now there's stuff that we no longer do because we're not where we were still counts but we used to like my best friend's family lives across the street from us and we became friends because their family moved across the street and started going to our church and so, like, I knew her from church, and then she also just lived there in a neighborhood of boys. It was, like, sick of a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up getting very close. And so what we started doing on Christmas Eve was we would go to the Christmas Eve service at church. And then from the service, our both our families would go to—God, um, what was the name of it? They ended up closing— Jade Village was the name of the place. It was like in Rockland County, um, New York, but it was this Chinese restaurant. And so Christmas Eve, we would go to Jade Village and we would just get this feast. Like we would get a big table for like eight, nine, 10 of us um depending on who had family in town and we would just have chinese food and, mm-hmm. like it was you go you sit you make it through you make it through service
0: like the christmas story
1: mhm and then you go and you eat all this yeah and also because that was a tradition like we definitely got those like movie quotes throughout sure. um, and then now once once they closed jade village we switched to it was this place in Nyack called the king and i which is a thai restaurant um, and that was always fun because my brother would always order the duck and like mm. not realize it comes out on fire, and it was just this big like ordeal that we all knew was coming. And like you do that every year. He, like I think he would forget that he would do that, <laughs> but we like me and Nikki would remember. Yeah. You know, so every year we're like kicking each other under the table, waiting for Charlie to ask for the duck. Yeah. Um, and then it was just like a hoot. But now they live in the middle of nowhere in the Adirondack Mountains, mm. so we're not doing Christmas Eve with our
0: friends. Do you have any traditions you would like to inject into? your house? Um,
1: I've seen one online that I think is cool for like down the road when you have kids and stuff, which is the idea of opening presents on Christmas Eve, but they're specific presents. So like I've seen ones where you'll get each other books, which is what we do on Christmas anyway, but you get each other books and then you open those the night before and then you spend like the night reading. Mm. You know, like that's like you go to sleep reading the new book you got. That's nice. I think that's like a cute one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've got a friend whose mom um, keeps a Christmas tree in every room. So like it's a smaller tree, but each one has a theme. So there's like a nutcracker theme. Mm. There's like different themes to all these. There's a teddy bear tree. And so, every year, like they set them up, and every tree in every room has a different theme to it. Hmm. That's a lot of effort, but that seems kind of cool too, yeah,,
0: um, and you get more Christmas tree smell throughout the house, assuming yeah, they real trees. I don't know if they were real trees, yeah. What about you? uh no, I don't think anything else. like I said, my uh enthusiasm for Christmas is on the upslope right now it it went I loved it as a kid hated it as a young adult, and I'm starting to like it again as a parent.
1: Yeah, I feel like we're in a new phase of, like, needing to make new traditions because a lot of the ones I listed were, like, place-specific. Sure. You know? Yeah.
0: Cool. Uh, well, love to hear your guys's holiday traditions because I'm sure there's a billion out there, right? Like, who knows where mm-hmm. these things stem from? So. Well,
1: I also <laughs> want to hear the ones that aren't Christmas because I'm very familiar with the Christmas ones, but if you do other stuff that maybe isn't exactly Christmas-centric, like, you know, you celebrate a different holiday – um, I think stuff like that's very interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, my mom is Jewish. I am technically Jewish as well. I know nothing about the religion. But uh, we have started making latkes on the first day of Hanukkah. And I will say, that's a delicious food. Holy oh. shit. Potato pancakes. Yeah. I, I used
1: to get an invite to my friends for like Passover, Hanukkah, like that sort of stuff. And I cherished those invites because yeah. that food
0: slaps. Yeah. Uh, there's a Israeli restaurant in Denver, Safta. I haven't been, but I've heard nothing but amazing things. It's high on the bucket list. Yeah. yeah. To our next segment, I know we've uh, pumped our new voicemail provider. You've heard my beef with the previous one. I loved that. I, it's not often that I get my blood boiled, but um, I think that was justified, right?
1: It's nice to bu- balance out when I get mine.
0: Yeah. No. No. And the funny thing is that was like post my uh, six month PMS period where like I just wasn't sleeping and I was angry all the time. I'm actually doing pretty good right now. I think all things considered, but I think that was a justified anger. Um,
1: yeah, for me it's aliens that trigger me. For you, it's service providers that don't provide their services. Yeah,
0: or not sleeping and anything that happens in or around me while I'm not sleeping is a triggering for me. But I'm good now, guys. I'm back to being. Uh, you relatively- are more
1: normal than you were.
0: It was that was. Oh,
1: there I- was a while where I like I specifically <laughs> touch and go. I specifically had instructed Mara and Rachel to just send questions to me because yeah. I was like, let's just not. Let's just not include Zach on anything that's not super important. I know. And then there was one like email or something you were left out of, and you were like, going forward, I will be included <laughs> on everything. And I'm like, this is why we didn't include him.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: I was, no. I remember DMing Mara separately, and I was like, Mara, this isn't you. This is him. Don't worry. <laughs> I,
0: I'm glad that we survived 2023 because, uh, that, w- that was a real knuckleball for We knew it would be. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like we, we knew going into it. Oof. We had prepared. Yeah,
0: good. I'm glad that everyone made it through alive. Not yeah, too much that blood. Yeah, uh, But here's our first voicemail. By the way, the link to get involved with our voicemails is on backpackerradio.com, and it'll also be in the show notes. Here's the first one. Also, I'll give the notice that we haven't listened to any of these voicemails, so <laughs> they could just be uh, people hating on us, and we're going to learn right now. Here we go.
1: Hi, Zach and Chaunce, Love the show. On your last episode with Pony, you mentioned about Zach's friend wanting people to do a pickled toe shot at his (laughs) home. That made me think of the sour toe cocktail in Dawson City. Check it out if you're curious what it is. Fair warning, though. It's much worse than the pickled toe your buddy wants you to shoot.
0: What was the sour
1: Sour toe shot from Dawson City.
0: Dawson. Okay.
1: No sign off. No name. I Uh, love voicemails.
0: Shout out to Brandon. Ooh. Uh. Tachuk. It's T-K-A-C-H-U-K.
1: I'm not going to
0: try. Um, sour toe cocktail has become a time-honored tradition in Dawson City. To date, the club has over 100,000 members hailing from every corner of the world. How do I become a member? Okay, here's the recipe. One ounce of alcohol.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> One dehydrated toe.
1: <laughs> One dehydrated toe? Yeah. From what? It, a human?
0: Garnish with courage. Origins.
1: How do you dehydrate a toe?
0: Maybe we'll learn about it in the origins. The legend of the first sour toe dates back to the 1920s and features a feisty rum runner named Louis Lincoln and his brother Otto. During one of their cross-border deliveries, they ran into an awful blizzard. In an effort to help direct his dog team, Louis stepped off the sled and into some icy overflow, soaking his foot thoroughly. Oh, no. Fearing that the police were on their trail, they continued on their journey. Unfortunately, the prolonged exposure to the cold caused Louis' big toe to become frozen solid to prevent... Gangrene, the faithful Otto performed the amputation using a wood cutting axe and some overproof rum for anesthesia. To commemorate this moment, the brothers preserved the toe in a jar of alcohol. Years later, while cleaning out an abandoned cabin, the toe was discovered by Captain Dick Stevenson. After conferring with friends, the Sour Toe Cocktail Club was established, and the rules developed. Since its inception, the club has acquired by donation over twenty-five toes.
1: Where are they getting the toes?
0: It's a very good question. This is
1: like one of those things where you find the mortuary that like gets in trouble because they don't actually bury the full bodies.
0: Yeah, this is making me realize that maybe my friend pulled the uh, pickled toe from something. Like he didn't just invent it.
1: Okay, would you do a modified version of the sour toe shot? I don't know how we're going to turn this into something that you lose a bet on, but I will dip my big toe into a shot of whiskey and, like, hold it there for, like, five seconds. Would you do that shot?
0: Drink the whiskey?
1: Well, drink the shot that I that I dip my toe in for about five seconds. That wouldn't phase me at all. Okay, where's a cup? You said it wouldn't phase you at all.
0: Can we save this for Palooza? I'll do it. No. I just. I, well, I've...
1: We're gonna have so much better content at Palooza. You want to do it? Yeah. Go get yourself a cup. I'm gonna dip my little toe into it. It's gonna be the big toe. You do it in return? No, I absolutely would never say yes to this. Uh, <laughs> the issue
0: is, I don't think. That
1: yeah, that's not gonna be soon. heavy. That's not gonna be. We need something shallow. Do we have a paper cut that we can cut the top off of? Yeah, take the scissor and make it shallow. And we can do like a. We can. <laughs> I'll read the mailbag while my shallow, toe sticks shallow, in it. Shallow. I'll stick my toe in it and let it soak while I read the mailbag so that it can like, you know, fester.
0: It's funny that the uh, foot skin bothered me significantly.
1: And my toe, I mean, we're just that close.
0: You know what it is? Is I have faith that alcohol kills everything. So like, if you would have put the foot skin into some alcohol, i might have felt
1: different it. No, but, you would not have. I mean, Okay, well, here, pour your shot, and then I'll prep the toe. Do you want left foot or right foot?
0: If I'm doing this, you have to at least have the equivalent amount of whiskey. Sure. Okay. Easy, yes. Uh, yeah, you're dealer's choice in toe.
1: Well, I'm a, I'm a lefty, so left okay. would be my dominant toe. Do you want dominant or non-dominant toe?
0: Here, here. In order for this to work, I'm going to have to pour a lot of whiskey in here, so you're going to have to have half so no, no, no. Toe. I'll
1: I'll tilt the cup. Don't don't you worry about my method. I'll, I'll get the toe in there. Okay.
3: That's
1: a lot. Yeah, well, that is a lot. I don't need that much. Uh, hold on. Hold on. I've got to get this looking good for the YouTube. Really, this is just clout for the internet.
0: We used to have shot glasses. I, don't know,
1: what I know we did use to have shot glasses. I think I have one in my car, but I don't want to go look for it. Okay, that's a clean sock. I put that on before this. Shout
0: out again to uh, Broken Top Whiskey. Someone sent this up to this.
1: There's something floating in this one. There's a hair. I'm going to take See? it out so you don't think it's mine.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: No hair. So I'm uh, I'm going to let this. You're right. This is a little. Do you have the scissor? I've got to cut it a little shallower.
0: I'll play the other voicemail while you're properly marinating the sure. toe shot. So that's the Sour Toe Cocktail Recipe. Thank you for that.
1: Thank you for that. This is going to be funny.
0: And our next voicemail is from Horizon. This one's a little bit longer.
1: I got plastic in your
0: cup? That bothers me more than the toe. Yeah, I'm going to
1: have to pick that out with my
0: fingers. Hey, BPR, this is Horizon. Uh, Just wanted to throw a quick rant PSA thingy out there. Um, If you're going to take even like a shorter, maybe a couple of days uh, backpacking trip
2: shakedown thing, and your only like phone navigation option is all trails, because it's not available on far out or something. Go with like a map and compass or something instead. For real. All trails sucks. It had me cross the same river. Not kidding, within like five miles, it had me cross the same river like 30 times before it finally got away from that. Um
0: anyway, all trails sucks. I'm smelly, I'm gonna go shower. Rant over. Do you think he was describing his state, or is that his trail name? Is he a a stinky guy, or is that just his trail name?
1: Oh, I don't know. Like, is his name Smelly?
0: That's kind of what I heard the first time, but...
1: I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm a little preoccupied.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh well, shout out to you guys. Thank you very much for the note. Um, I guess we'll call that an anti ad for all trails. I will say all trails is very cool for discovering day hikes. I've never yeah. used it for like a GPS navigation. It's good tool. for
1: finding day hikes that you can bring dogs on.
0: Yeah but uh yeah uh we love your guys voicemails the link to get involved again is on backpacker or you can find it through the show notes i don't actually have the link handy otherwise i give it to you but i think it's too chaotic to even relay over uh air anyways do you want me to do the five-star review or should should we drink some whiskey
1: no this has to sit um i can do the i you do the five-star review i'll do the mailbag
0: okay uh why am i not seeing the mailbag I'm on the wrong show notes. That's why. Okay. Uh, I almost read the wrong thing. Five-star review. This is from Paul Heal's title is if five stars was a dookie, Y'all look, Paul here from Bass and Bruce Podcasts. Love promoting other people's podcasts. I'm somewhere out, I'm somewhat out of shape and a little fat. I have no reason to be listening to a hiking podcast, but here I am living my skinny mountain goat life through this podcast. <laughs> I do love camping and have gathered a ton of useful info. It's the entertainment that y'all so gloriously provide that makes me so happy to have found y'all. I probably speak for all the listeners who vicariously lived their hiking lives through your show and saying, good job doing what you do and talking a lot about poo, keep crushing it i love white claw surge is that a, like a cocktail i don't know oh. that was how we ended the review okay so I, I I ended on the up i should have been in the down i love white calls white claw surge Uh, that's from Paul Heels thank you Paul appreciate you if you guys want to have your review right on this podcast head on over to Apple Podcasts leave any number of stars just not one, two, three, or 4 and you can promote your podcast you can promote whatever you want to promote you can say pretty much anything and we'll read it on the podcast
1: Um, yeah you just can't like bash a past guest that's That's where we draw the line that was
0: we at once upon time said that we would say anything and then we've someone uh, found our boundary and that was it yeah yeah
1: Um, (sighs) yeah I think I think it's
0: pretty soaked at this point. I know
1: my toe is soaked. I was gonna ask like what you would have to get paid to suck the the whiskey off my toe, and then I and then I thought that thought through, and I was like, I think that like could technically be considered infidelity to some.
0: Oh, to foot people. Foot people certainly. But like, what
1: if neither of you are foot people? Like, I'm not a foot person. I just like the joke of it. I don't want you sucking my toe. I'm
0: I'm honestly jealous of people that are foot people because I feel like feet are so available. Like The
1: stuff that's floating in this isn't from my toe. Sure. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> sure. Sure, um, sure, there's sure. a piece of small plastic I couldn't get out. And then there's like a hair that was just in the cup. All
0: right, well, I'll drink this
1: Somehow all five lips. of my toes are wet. Yeah, well. It's just like absorbed on one. And yeah, I'm seeing.
0: There. This is like a smoothie. Yeah. I see mm-hmm. a bon Apple tea. <laughs> uh, you got yours right there. Yeah. Do you want me to soak my toe all in right, it? Would my toe gross you out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, would, I do have I would toes. never agree to that. Okay.
1: This is a lot that you put in this cup.
0: That's my primary opposition to this, is this is more than a shot. You poured it. I did do that. All
1: right, cheers. Yeah, that was two shots. How would she taste? Like whiskey. People would pay good money for that.
0: I, I don't doubt it.
1: Should we do that as a next, like a giveaway? a, a chance toe soaked shower. people are gonna think I have a real fetish here
0: yeah if you guys uh, will sponsor the podcast for a chance I guess I'm trying to profit off of your toes yeah, I should do that yeah I'm trying to
1: profit off my own toes yeah
0: start your own personal Patreon here but no it's OnlyFans uh, yeah I guess it's OnlyFans uh, yeah that was that was good
1: that wasn't that bad yeah it's weird where you draw a line cause that's
0: I, alcohol, that's way
1: worse than someone's toe shed on your laptop
0: you think so I don't uh, for, you just
1: drank my toe
0: No <laughs> I, I drank whiskey Alcohol kills everything It's like if you get a cut You put uh, ethanol on it Because it kills all the bacteria Which is why I have no fear of your toe juice
1: What day did I hang out with Fireball this week? That was Saturday My oh. last shower was on Saturday
0: I don't I don't care uh, okay. so I don't care uh, But that actually Thank you for bringing that up Is there someone in your life that you love enough that you would do a pickled toe shot per their request? If that was like their dying wish,
1: what like like toe? it's their toe pickled in a shot. I don't. I blocked this out from the last time.
0: Yeah. So uh, based on my friend's request, and apparently the sour toe cocktail recipe is, uh, you would drink a shot. I think, I think you have to. No, my friend's request is you don't have to drink the toe, but the toe has to be in the shot.
1: Yeah, I'd probably do what you just did. Um, like, for me, that would make me vomit. I would be incredibly disgusted and not, like, on board with it at all. Yeah. If it's someone I care about and that's, like, li- like their dying yeah, wish. Yeah, if Mim
0: said, like, when I die, this is important to me.
1: Like, I would want her to be a little bit real about the fact that it's not actually important to her. The fucking with me part's important to her. The stipulation I would make is I want to find a way where I can at least do it while she's still alive because I would like to, like... <laughs> But. I'd like to share that joy together, you know? Like, if you're dead and I'm doing your pickled toe shot, like, it's really just me grossed out on my own and, like, hoping that you appreciate that wherever you are at that point. But would you do it? Um, I mean, I think it would have to be like that where she's just dipping it in. And yeah. I, I love that we settled on this being Mims' toe. Let's, let's say
0: it's Mims's toe hanging out in a cup for a month. You don't have to drink is the it toe. Is it
1: attached to her body alive or no, is it, like, a dead toe? just a detached toe. toe. I would do it for her. I would okay. I mean I would think it was pretty fucked up that she'd ask for it. Um I think there's like a lot better things you could ask someone. I could see someone.
0: Fireball being that person though.
1: Yeah. if that if that would give her joy, but the problem is that she's not there to actually like she's not there to cash out on the joy. She's got a winning lotto ticket and she's not there to cash out on it. Yeah. So like what are you getting? You know, like you're not just, I would want her there to like can someone sever this woman's toe before she goes so mm-hmm. that it can pickle for the month and then she can. She's on her
0: deathbed. I
1: want her to watch it happen and yeah. to like last breath be a laugh at my expense. Yeah. Okay. That would mean more to me.
0: Okay.
3: Um.
1: I, I don't and know I know it's, it's not about me. Yeah. Right. But like, I would want, like you at least have to get the laugh. If you want this so bad, you have to like be there to laugh at it.
0: But you might just pass into the next realm knowing that like, you know what? Cool stuff's going to happen with my body.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would, I would honor that.
0: Cool. All right, I'm gonna let you take this mailbag, or it's if you crazy. want to pass it off at it's any wrong. point, feel free. But this I is... can do it. I
1: read good. Yeah, um, I read better than you do. True. Number one, it start. It doesn't start off with an intro. it's just we're going into numbered lists. One, help. I can't find the show notes you refer to on Backpacker Radio, which is supposed to have links to submit poop stories, provide comments, and get info, e.g. in Iceland trip. Ooh, boy. Uh, note, I am a bit behind, yes. In the last installment I listened to, I was, I think, number 215 in which De- Zach dissed snow camping. Um, so the show notes, where you can find them, is if you go to, like, let's say you're listening to the podcast on, I'm going to say Apple Podcast as an example, like a podcast player app. Or um, there's usually diff- there's usually like a description <clears throat> um, below an episode, and in that is a link to them. Or let's say you're not just listening on an app and you're listening some other way. or you're thinking about this after the fact and you can't find the episode. Um, you can google Backpacker radio and the episode number and it'll just come up. Um, but the easiest answer is now we have a website, www.backpackerradio.com. And the, I love that the you included main the www. page, you have a .co address for the track. Don't come at me.
0: <clears throat> I tried to buy the .com and the person told me that five figures wasn't enough.
1: So that's a vastly different story than the six years you've been telling me. It's ultralight.
0: Oh yeah. It's a better marketing. Yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's ultralight is not spending. So this is, this, on this is why you name. bought
1: the backpacker radio domain name six years ago.
0: Oh, it definitely changed my thinking on, uh, yeah, intellectual property. That's
1: been one of my biggest ha-ha's is that we've sat on this domain name for six years and done nothing.
0: It, to all the entrepreneurs out there, as soon as you have an idea for a thing that you want to call anything, check all the domains first. But as it turns out, the, I don't think having not having the .com has harmed the brand in any way. But No, because
1: there's Trek Bicycles, and that just mm-hmm. makes more sense. Like, that makes a lot of sense.
0: I have a story for you off air.
1: Oh, great. Um, okay. That I'm excited for. Don't forget that. Um, But now we have this website, backpackerradio.com, and on the main page, it is our RSS feed, which for someone who's not techie, I don't even know what RSS stands for. Um, It's just a list of our episodes, and you can find all the show notes in the descriptions for each of those. Um, If you're still struggling...
0: Really simple syndication. I didn't actually know the answer either.
1: Yeah. If you're still struggling at this point, point, like, and you've gone through these steps and you can't find them, go to Instagram... Go to our Instagram, which is Backpacker Radio, and just shoot us a DM and say, "Hey, I can't find the show notes. Can you help me?" And we will we will help you. We will walk you through step by step how to find them, and we will give you that um, tech support until you do. Happy to get you there. I don't
0: know if the air conditioning turned off or if it's just getting no. It
1: got quieter. If the toe
0: juice. The is background. Me warm. The <laughs>
1: background hum left in the middle of that. Anyway, okay. so that's where to find the show notes. Um, check the description on wherever you're listening to this. Number two. On snow camping. It is a wonderful experience for a backpacker. I did it for several years in the 1990s as a student and then as an assistant leader with the Sierra Club's snow camping section in the San Francisco Bay Area. Each winter we had a day of instruction, January, and then two trips. The first was one night and the second was two nights. Why is snow camping wonderful? Here's where we get to the sub list. This is alphabetical bullet points. A. The beauty of the mountains in winter. B. The quiet of the mountains in winter. C, not crowded at all in winter. D, no bugs. E, you dress for the cold and it's fine. The Sierras is not as cold probably as the Rockies would be. F.
0: Singular Sierra. Yeah,
1: I, I was going to let that slip, but no. Um You correct me on everything. F. <laughs> I (laughs) do. You build a kitchen in the snow, a circular trench in the snow in which you sit on the ground and put your stove on the island. It is a wonderful group kitchen. Yes, we cook hot meals in the winter. No cold soaking in that season. That I can get behind. G, new sleeping options. You can dig a snow cave. You can dig a snow trench, my choice, which is a trench maybe three feet deep, which you cover with a tarp or a ground cloth. It keeps the snow off as it snows and the snow on all sides acts as an insulator so it's easy to stay warm with a decent bag. Many people also pitch tents in the snow using a dead man technique for the stakes or snow stakes. H. Yes we carry wag bags to carry our poop out, we usually don't dig down to the ground. I it is fun going in winter to places you hike in the summer. That wait One, is
0: that like a pro winter camping? Because to me that seems like a an anti winter camping.
1: Um, I think this might have just been like an in passing thing. I've inquired like about I'll
0: leave no trace. Yeah, this. like I've
1: probably been like, What do you do? Yeah. I, I imagine in passing on an episode when I've bitched about snow camping, sure. I have I have brought up what do you do with your shit. Yeah. So I'm sure that's a response to it's, that.
0: It's a good thing to stipulate, but for me that's a reason to
1: not snow I don't,
0: camp. I've got some pretty heavy dumps.
1: I don't mind wag bagging my shit. There's, I feel like there's something powerful, powerful about carrying.
0: Powerful like, should be a word.
1: Powerful, yeah, that's even more <laughs> powerful sounding than powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone,
0: someone, please make that your trail name in the comments. Powerful. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um There's something powerful about carrying your shit with you. Yeah. I'd be like, this is mine. Yeah. I did this. Yeah. Anyway, um, I. It is fun going in winter to places you hike in the summer. One of the two day trips we did back when I'm really hot right now. It's warm. One of the two day trips. And you didn't
0: even drink toe juice.
1: Trust me, my toes are hot. (laughs) Um, One of the two day trips we did back when I was doing this was to Lassen National Park. A day trip on our middle day was to Bumpus Hell where the water is streaming even in winter. Um, can I tell you a story about Bumpus Hell while we're here?
0: You've been there? Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, this is when I was road tripping out of the truck. I Actually, there was a leak happening. I had I had bubbles in all four tires, so the car was bouncing. They thought my brakes were going to go, and I'm in this parking lot of Bumpus Hell, and it's downhill both ways. Mm. And I'm, like, worried that my brakes are going to go. My Like, the car is not running straight. Like, this is, like, a real— this was a real doozy in the road trip, <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: um, and I'm by myself because my ex at the time was British, and so he has to fly home after our summer job at the summer camp and stay out of the country for, like, two weeks before he can re-enter on his new visa for his, like, work year, and so I've got to get this truck that's a manual, like, pickup mm-hmm. truck that I've just, I've just learned how to drive manual, Got to get it to Vancouver to pick him up outside of the country so he can then come back in the country with us. And so I'm making my way north. I stop at Lassen because I'm like national parks, whatever. Um, Oh, there's two good stories here. Um, So anyway, I park at Bumpus Hill because I'm going to do this hike. Apparently, Bumpus was this guy that was like a newspaper reporter. I hope I don't butcher this story. (sighs) he was this newspaper reporter and he had like gone through Lassen before it was Lassen National Park. So there's no like little footbridges, none of this shit. He gets to this area and he's like, this is sick. Like I'm going to bring back like people to come see this because it's just like, like this is awesome what the ground's doing with the geothermal stuff and all that. Do you and have I, a
0: timestamp on this?
1: Before the park. Okay. Um, I can look it up while you kill time in a second. Um But, so he brings people back to show them, like, all this cool stuff. And they always tell you, like, Yosemite less. And when you're in these places with these footbridges over this, like, geothermal ground, not to go off the footbridges. Because you don't know where you're going to step, mm-hmm. if it's ground or if it's, like, above one of these pools. Mm-hmm. And so he's showing off, like, proud of this thing he found. And he steps through the ground and like, his leg goes into this geothermal pool. He had to get his leg amputated. Mm-hmm. So it they does call, sound like hell. So they call this hike bump as hell. Ah, that's a good um, story. And that was in like 2015. So if yeah. there's discrepancies there, I'm so sorry. But yeah. it, I like knowing the backstories for sure. that stuff.
0: Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good one.
1: Yeah. I also at that time had seen people hitchhiking, like I think to town. And I could tell that they were probably PCT hikers, but I did not know enough to mm-hmm. know if they were. And I was by myself. And I pulled over and I called my ex in England and like was like talking through the moral implications of what I would feel in terms of. Like pain inside and bad karma if I didn't offer them a ride,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and like he was like, "Do not offer strangers a ride," mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I had gotten a bit past where they were hitchhiking from. Never had p- picked up a hitchhiker before. um Wasn't like was pre PCT, wasn't any of that. And I had pulled over, and I decided I had a banana, and I was like and a snacky, and I was like, if I eat this whole banana and I still don't see them behind me because I hadn't gone that far further, then I'm going to assume that they got a ride and that's why I don't see them walking behind the car because they were walking while hitching. I'm going to assume they got a ride and I'm not going to think anything of it ever again. And I finished my banana and I still didn't see them in the rearview mirror, so I kept going. And now it's been like almost 10 years. And and I I still think about those two hikers. And like I still feel guilt for not picking them up. And so doing the PCT in 2017, the amount of like, no one's you ever gonna pick with me a, up anywhere. A karmic debt. Oh, I've never repa- I Like, I feel like I will never repay that debt. Sure. I will never forget those two hikers. Yeah. But that's my two fun lesson stories.
0: Without being in the thru hiking culture, it's very reasonable to not pick up. Hitchhikers, but yeah, I think being in that culture. Well,
1: I could tell from looking at them. I was like, these guys are harmless. Like, sure, yeah. they're like tall and strong and muscular, but <laughs> oh, harmless. don't
0: take me over. And I was talking to <laughs>
1: my ex about it, and I was like, what if I tell them to get in the back, and they have to lay on the like the mattress in the back, and like they can't come in the front? At least then they're not connected to me. And I was like, is that fair to do to a person? Like, I'm treating them like like a, like a fucking stock like animal. Prisoners. Yeah, you know. Um I like I wish I wish there was a way to find out who those two were. But mm. those are my last stories.
0: Yeah. Nice.
1: Um. Anyway, now we go on to bullet point number three, because we've moved off of subtopic two, which was snow camping. Three poop story for your book. The most beautiful place I have ever pooped. And a, a friend I and a friend set out to ski slash backpack around the rim of Crater Lake over New Year's holiday in January 1982. This sounds like a sick story. The road is closed and snow covered, but you can drive to the start. Early in the first morning on the trail, the urge came upon me. So I walked a little up the hill and did my business on the rim of Crater Lake as the sun rose over the side, putting streaks of light putting streaks of sunlight on the trees and snow and the water putting streaks of sunlight on the trees and snow and the water of the lake. Absolutely beautiful, my most beautiful poop site. I don't know why words were closer together there, I'm gonna turn my contrast
0: the, down. Probably the whiskey.
1: No, I think I zoomed out. There we go. Um, Awesome. If you want to submit a poop story for the book, um, there is a link to do so in our Instagram bio. There's also a link to do so on backpackerradio.com. I'm also going to set something up. um, I've talked about this on the last episode, but I'm going to set up one or two or three things. I'm going to try to space them out so they go out with these episodes where I have, like, essentially office hours on Zoom where you can, like, join a Zoom call with me and I will record you telling me the poop story. Um, And it's going to be, like, a very short window that I'm doing this because I don't know if this will be incredibly overwhelming. Yes, Zach? Uh,
0: When do we have enough poop stories?
1: We haven't really, like, we haven't really talked about that off air yet.
0: And now that my brain's working again, we should probably have some office hours and figure this out.
1: Yeah, we should figure that out. I think, like... I would, I would say if you want like a, like definitely buy this answer from me, I think April Fool's Day would be a funny time to cut it off. Yeah. 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 I think we've got a really good number right now, okay. but I know people are procrastinators Yeah, and I know some people might not have submitted them because they might not just like typing, you know, like there's, th- there's just like tasks I have to do that. I just don't like to type. Sure. So I think giving them one last window where they can give me an audio that I record yeah. and like, you know, like maybe we'll get some gold that we wouldn't have otherwise. Um but I think we'll like we'll have that conversation after this episode because sure. I think that's.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this project a lot without any urgency. But uh, now that I'm sleeping again is game back on and we're about to get ferociously productive. So well, that was a y'all nice better thing. Watch out.
1: That was the nice thing about like the April. Like granted, it was an April Fool's Day joke gone wrong slash gone right, depending mm-hmm. on how you want to look at it. Because I think this is going to be a really fun project for us. But part of the fun part about pursuing it is Zach was zombie dad for a bit. And so there was no pressure on it. You mm-hmm. know, it was just like, we're just going to collect these for a bit because Zach, like, we're not doing anything with it yet because mm-hmm. Zach can't. Yeah. Like, I'm speaking for you there, but I think that's no. an accurate statement. B- but now Zach can. But now Zach So I've, I've I'm been, dangerous again, guys. <laughs> but see, this is the first time you've told me Zach can.
0: No, Zach can. Okay. And Zach will.
1: Okay, and Zach, 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 Zach do, Zach can, <laughs> Zach,
0: Zach do good, Zach, Zach. Um,
1: yeah. So now that we know Zach can, Zach probably soon will. Yeah. And so that means we got to wrap this shit, no pun intended, things get, up.
0: Things get scary when Zach can and Zach will and Zach well, do. Well, Zach
1: has ADHD. Yeah. That's so true. when Zach gets productive, Zach gets productive. Well, I, when I
0: get in the zone, I am unstoppable.
1: Yeah, you're you're zoned in. Yeah. Um uh, So okay, so what I'm gathering from here is Hulk is hulking, and so <laughs> we. <laughs> Okay. So this goes out on Christmas. <laughs> I'll probably post like a social about this yeah. and like maybe take some stories in December. Yep. I'm definitely going to be able to do it while I have my two weeks off at Christmas. Um, and then since this comes out at Christmas, I'll probably extend it for like a week or two. So all that to say, if you don't currently follow us on social, my like my area of expertise, if we were to call any of this an area of expertise is Instagram. It's just my most familiar platform. I will likely post this shit on Instagram. You know, like if you want to submit a verbal poop story where like you and I are in a Zoom and you just lay it I on hope me. This puts
0: you in a weird situation.
1: I'm open. I'm fine you're with that. You're asking
0: for people to lay shit stories Listen, on you. You know what?
1: You know what, Zach? I am open for the quality of this book. I'm yeah. open to doing that. Maybe yeah. you're not. Maybe you're not as committed as I am.
0: Yeah, I'm not ready for people to lay their. I want to see
1: the meat before it gets cooked. <laughs> um, I want to. I think be- you're
0: asking for the meat. To get on you after it's cooked.
1: You no, know, the meets the person talking, and then the cooking is them laying the story on me.
0: Uh, I was referring to the metaphor where someone's taking a dump on you.
1: Okay, no, I didn't put that together. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, but all that to say, follow us on Instagram because I will likely say it either in a in a in feed post that causes Mara some stress because I'm fucking with her schedule that's so nicely laid out and organized, or I will just like sporadically like in a hyper-focus, just spam this on the um, stories and probably just, like, open up a Zoom link and just, like, sit in it or do, like, a live, like, I don't know. I'm going to do something that just fits in my schedule where I'm, like, if anyone wants to do this, go on Instagram, follow us there, watch the stories that we post. You'll see it there if, and, and it, Yeah. Yeah, that's the only way we can do it that makes sense.
0: Moral of the story is if you guys have a poop story you would like to contribute to this project, shit or get off the pod.
1: Yeah, it's like don't wait any longer. If you would like to write it out, it doesn't need to be the most pristinely written. Like, you know, you don't need to be an author. You don't need to be like any skilled writer we're going to follow up with you if we want to use your story and we're going to get the details necessary to make it a good story. We're also going to hire an editor. Like we this we have big plans for this, big plans. you know? So we're not going to leave you high and dry and like, you know.
0: And if you don't want to wait for the audio submission, like your inspiration striking, uh, the link for the voicemail is in here and that's a perfectly suitable way to submit it as well.
1: Yeah, but it is Christmas that you're listening to this. If you're listening the day of, if you're listening late, it's it might even be 2024. We're not really probably, like I said, April Fool's at the beginning because I was flustered and unsure. We probably aren't going to carry this over too far into 2024, so I really wouldn't bank on procrastinating much further agreed i'm the type of procrastinator where like and i always thought this in college i did this with my essays i think i do better when there's the deadline right there like if everybody's i I need impending doom to get me focused
0: you've vocalize it to me and
1: i will and yeah because 100 percent. because there's been times you've asked me to do stuff and i like haven't and you've been like where's this shit and i've been like well when do you need it by yeah and i've been like if you give me a deadline i'll probably get it to you early yeah i just need that impending doom it's, so if you're that type of person where you need that impending like the cutoff is now there's nowhere left to procrastinate The deadline is tomorrow the the you know the fucking the end is near <laughs> yeah just, yeah
0: yeah, we're yeah. On this. share it with us. Yeah. Sticker code. Quick aside while you're thinking about it is uh, one of the incentives for our uh, signed book package is you get a backpack radio sticker. This isn't something that we sell, this is something that is earned. But in this rare scenario, this is something that you can actually get without having to be excellent in any way other than supporting our books and getting an excellent – At this point, it's not a gift because Christmas is, you know, in the rear view mirror. But if you want a sticker, this is the way to get it.
1: Um, Mental note to ourselves. we got to record that thing. Yeah, I got that. Um, Sticker code. Okay. This is a selfish one, but I – I like the conservationist talk, not the conversationist talk.
0: Conversationalist.
1: And I like the stuff where, like, you learn, like, the trail was like this, and then it was like this, you know? This is going to be a tougher sticker code, so this one's going to take a little more effort. If you want a lower effort sticker code, we've got plenty of those in other episodes. But tell us something really cool that you think has happened on a trail, any trail, in, like, a conserving the trail type of way. Like a... They did this to protect this, like you were saying about protecting the viewshed of mm-hmm. McAfee Knob. Um, like she had been saying about the um, area in Pennsylvania or about the bears in Glacier and where they were feeding them and then they were like dead bear, fed bear's a dead bear. Anything like that for me I think is like super interesting. So this is a self, self-fulfilling. self Self-serving. Self-serving ask on my end. Yeah. Maybe it requires a Google on your end, but I also think it's Christmas and this could be like (laughs) some, this could be some really nice stuff for people to read is like, Hey, let's take a moment and like appreciate all the really nice things that we've been able to do to protect these trails for years to come.
0: I think it's beautiful. Thanks. A super big thank you to our Truck Norris Award winners on Patreon. That is Alex and Misty with Navigators Crafting. Andrew, Austin McDaniel, Austin Ford, Brad and Blair from 13 Adventures. Brent Stenberg, Brian Alsop. Fables. Christopher Marshburn, coach for Marion Outdoors. Dane. Ish. Derek Cook, Eric Casper. The Friendly Ghost. Eric Hoffman, Greg McDaniel. Iron Hike Endurance Productions. Liz Seeger, Matt Sukup, Mike Poizel, Patrick C. Sawyer Products, Spam, Timothy Han, and Tracy Trigger. You can follow us on social, at Backpacker Radio, on Instagram and TikTok, at BackpackerPod on X, Facebook.com slash Backpacker Radio. You can follow Chaunce.
1: You can find me on Instagram at Juliana underscore Chauncey, and you can get my book, Hiking from Home, a Long Distance Hiking Guide for Family and Friends, on Amazon, Or we're doing a little bookie bundle right now. Bookie bundle. A little bookie buns.
0: If you guys want us to scribble on a couple of books at a severe discount uh head on over to store.thetrek.co it'll be right there for you or in the show notes
1: we had been quipping about me signing zach's books and zach signing my books so if you want something fun like that i don't know know what your threshold of fun is yeah
0: if leave that in the order notes and we could probably make that happen
1: you won't know either way
0: i wouldn't know no they won't oh i
1: I can make a very convincing zach
0: oh i thought you were saying you would sign your name on my book and vice versa
1: no i would sign your name on your book and you would Uh, sign my name on my book
0: yeah if you guys want a pair of forgeries we can make that happen uh follow us on youtube this was a very visual podcast you got to watch chan's dunk her toe into a shot of whiskey a shot is maybe a very big understatement um and then other things happened also we have a nice chocolate spread
1: oh yeah we do have a nice chocolate spread i'm going to give him a shout out just because it's friendship oh yeah um
0: and anyone that sends us free stuff is going to get a shout out
1: yeah anyone who sends free food is going to like we're going to we've shouted, we've always shouted them out every time we've never this not this is the
0: best way for free press you guys want to be on the podcast send us alcohol send us chocolate send us uh i got recently a postcard from a Trek blogger who had completed the CDT. Shout out to peanut.
1: Here's the thing. And you know this because it's Christmas. And if you are a Christmas celebrator or really any holiday, Oh Jesus. Any (laughs) holiday celebrator, you know that like, maybe it's just because my love language is gift, gifting, gift giving. Mm. I didn't know that about you. Here's the thing is I think my love language is all five. And I know (laughs) they say it can't be. I know they say it's heavily. I take you as
0: more of an affirmation person.
1: But if I don't get enough of the others, I start to feel very depleted. I'm a very needy person. So just
0: all five, okay. All five. Okay. But I, I can only I've, do some of them.
1: <laughs> I find myself showing love through gift giving a lot. Yeah. Um, so I love when people send us stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when we get stuff, no matter big or small, and this isn't like a beg for you guys to send us stuff, it's more of like an appreciative, like it means just as much as you probably hope it would. Sure. Like it, it means every bit that you hoped. Uh, I
0: especially like the gifts because we put it in the studio and it just it it enhances the energy of the room. Like it's like you guys are here and uh we podcast through your energy.
1: I mean, and some of it could be even self-serving. Like some of this stuff that we've been sent, like that's probably good promo. But I hope it's so. I beautiful hope so. stuff. Yeah. You know, like it's so kind to send anyway. Um, my friend on the AT used to talk about this chocolate shop that he worked at on the Jersey Shore all the time because he's from the Jersey Shore area. And anyone who's hiked, I hope that's probably a majority of listeners or plans to be, knows that anyone who just doesn't shut up about chocolate on a long trail for months is, like, not doing you the biggest favor. No. But he used to talk about this place all the time. And that was 2019. And he came and stayed with me for, like, a week and a half this year while doing the CDT. And he was like, I'm going to send you a box of this chocolate. And I was like, sick. Honestly, didn't even expect him to, but I got the box today. Um it's called Conrad's um Conrad apostrophe s established 1928. Their Instagram is conrad192 1928. It's so good.
0: I've just been sampling this platter in front of us. There was a chocolate-covered Oreo. I will say this is a very honest endorsement it is I've had a lot of chocolate-covered pretzels in my days and usually that's like a hit or miss dessert for me because the pretzel is very stale. The quality of the pretzel inside was superb, and I don't even know this fella. Um, I do like free chocolate of any kind, but this was one of the better chocolate-covered pretzels I've ever had.
1: Yeah, I'm like, for me, it's more of like the fun. Like the story has come to fruition. I've gotten a close to the chocolate story, but I knew it was going to be good because I was. I told you the story before we started recording, but we had gone to the mall and there is a chocolate place in the mall and he like, went up to the window and i was like like i don't know this guy works at a candy place do you want to go in and like didn't even look in the window for more than a second he's like this stuff's trash <laughs> and he walked away he's like they don't make it on site i'm like how did you know that you like you barely smelled the store he's like they don't make it on site and he like stormed off um so yeah i'm just glad i got to try it this yeah. is like this is this is me shamelessly plugging something for my own sake, yeah. you know, like this is me being selfish for me Good. with the platform that I'm given. Yeah,
0: if you're, if you're going to pump chocolate, you might as well pump your yeah. friend's chocolate. Right? If you're on the
1: Jersey Shore, go to Conrad's. Yeah. Uh,
0: and I believe that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to another marathon episode and happy hiking.
1: Merry Christmas. Bye. Merry Christmas. And happy holidays.
0: So, son, what would you like for Christmas, huh? Did you fuck my mom? What? Did you fuck my mom? What do you mean?
3: I uh... did you
0: fuck my mom, Santa Claus? Did you fuck my mom? No.
3: Did you fuck her? No. Did you fuck my fucking mom? Did you fuck my mom, Santa? Fight hey, my Charlie. Get, Get him him. Him. lady! <laughs> <laughs> We got to go, dude! Come on, bro! Dude, what the fuck are you doing?